And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Friday with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, why I think Mario Cristobal won the day yesterday in Charlotte. And why everybody in the ACC should be concerned about Miami. Plus, the next two weeks, really the next 11 days... Could have the biggest impact on baseball's future more than any 11-day period we've had in a long time. And as we start the second half of the baseball season, the big positive for the Atlanta Braves. Also, today we finish up previewing the Power Five conferences with a look at the SEC. I'll let you know my predictions and how I think the SEC will turn out by year's end. Plus, the biggest storylines in the SEC this year. Also on cue, we got the preseason media poll for the SEC. We'll get to that later on. Plus, we'll try to build the best 17-0 NFL team. I'll tell you my biggest concern for every team in the NFC. Suddenly, the Atlanta Falcons have emerged as potentially a contender for a new quarterback. Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban bury the hatchet at SEC media days. We'll get to that. Persona non grata of the week, and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. Plenty to do on what essentially this time of year already becomes a bit of a football Friday. And we got a lot of hit on with uh, everything going on in football, talking season this time of year, and Major League Baseball firing up their second half of the season. We'll cover it all over the next three hours. You can always join the conversation as well, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter, at Morrow Middays. On Facebook, at ESPN Radio Charleston. Via email, studio, at kirkmanbroadcasting.com. Or online, at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page, where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there. Or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3 on this Friday as we kickstart the weekend. Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? It's, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. That's where you've quickly moved to as a Giants fan. Yeah, absolutely. A decent loss. A decent there loss. You, you know, that's, that's, what... that's what we're working with right now. Unfortunately, Luke, I'm just not feeling too good about the Giants going into the second half of the season. We need some more production on the offensive end. Six hits against the Dodgers just isn't going to get it done, unfortunately. I'll tell you what, I am so excited to have baseball back because the last two days there was really very, <laughs> very little, this whole week since Sunday night, very little live sports. And uh, I was talking to one of my brothers yesterday, and 
my my brothers are casual baseball fans. Even he said, he said, man, I can't wait for July baseball. There's been nothing <laughs> to watch in the sports world. It tells you the type of family I came up in that we just, all we do is just, you go home, you watch sports all night. We haven't had that live sports all week. So it's great to have even just baseball back this weekend. Get the Braves against Otani tonight. We'll talk about that in a moment. Of course, my Red Sox get back underway this weekend. We'll get to baseball in just a moment. But I want to start with the ACC media days yesterday. Mario Cristobal stole the show. Now, the big takeaway everyone is going to talk about is the fact that he's retiring the turnover chain. And I do think that's important. But it's more than that as well in regards to Mario and Miami. He went on first take yesterday on ESPN, and he was asked about this idea of getting rid of the turnover chain. That's the big gaudy headline with this Miami team. Here's what Mario said about not needing the turnover chain and trying to build the proper culture there with Miami football. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to establish a standard, right? And how you do anything is how you do everything, whether it be your lifts, your training sessions, seven-on-seven, going to class, community service, we have to establish, reestablish our DNA where everything is done at a championship level. And that's easy to talk about and hard to do. The physicality and practice has to be a different level. It has been. The way we train, the way we've added sports science, the way that we eat, the way we conduct our daily lives and processes, it has. So we have to be held to a very high standard. We can't compromise anything, right? We have to make sure that most of our work is done between the ears to establish the mindset of being a Miami Hurricane. And credit to the players, Desmond, what we thrown at these guys, it is as hard as humanly imaginable. It's very demanding, and they have attacked it, and they've approached it with a great mentality and a great attitude. We've made progress, and we still have a long ways to go. That was Cristobal's response in, reg- in regards of getting rid of the, the turnover chain. And it's a bit of like a hokey headline, and people have fun with it. And this morning I saw ESPN did a 60-second ode. They gave the best moments of the Miami turnover chain. But that's something you do when you have to try to overcompensate. right? When you're truly the you, you go back 20 years ago when they were the best team in football putting 20 guys in the NFL, do they need a turnover chain? Of course not. They had celebrities and athletes on the sidelines, and everybody wanted to be at a Miami football game. They didn't have to try to pretend to be cool or try to make headlines in other ways in their actual football play. It's a bit of a disguise. It's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's a decoy because of the lack of success or the program that they're running. Cristobal comes in, says, yeah, that's not what we're going to do around here. That's hokey. It's hacky. We're the you. We don't need some sort of phony turnover chain. Cristobal said yesterday during his uh, speech, uh, his uh, press conference, he said it's 10.53. This is when it was going on yesterday. So we should be winding up our skill instruction, our team conditioning right now, and our focus would be what we're going to get to eat right after this and then getting to class on time. Right, He's talking to the media yesterday. He's more concerned about how he could be using that day with his football team instead, already with the day planned out, what they would want to do, what he wish he could be doing with his guys. Miami, for the first time in a long time, they have an adult in the room. You know, growing up, you ever have that buddy who wore really flashy clothes? Or maybe you have a friend now as an adult who buys the fancy sports car, tries to get the big house, maybe gives off an idea that's not true to the real uh, reality. Right, tries to perceive himself uh, to be something that he's not. Drives the nice car. Or you know the person on your block that has the real noisy car. You can hear him driving from a mile away. I don't know what it is with people that ride my- motorcycles. I have nothing against you. But anybody that rides a motorcycle always has to be so obnoxiously loud to let you know, hey, I'm on a motorcycle. We, we get it. We can see you. We can hear you from three blocks away. The people that dress real flashy to maybe try to make up for something or disguise something. That was the turnover chain. That's all these other programs. 
that come up with something. You know who doesn't do it? Alabama or Georgia or the programs that actually go and win national championships. Instead, it's these second-rate. You know, Georgia Tech came up with, you get a turnover and you go write your hashtag on the whiteboard on the sideline. Why? You're making up for something. Miami doesn't have to do that anymore with Mario Cristobal there. And if you go back and you look, Miami, the last time they won a national championship was uh, about 20 years ago. Since then, look at the coaches that they have hired and how this program has been operated. I always say the true sign of how talented somebody is is how long are you available for? If you get fired, if you leave your job, are you scooped up quickly? Does somebody else want you to come work for them? Or do you never get that opportunity again? And if you never get that opportunity again, the one school in this case, if we're talking college football, the one school that actually hired you to be a head coach probably made a mistake because they seem to be the only one that would do it. Larry Coker helped Miami win that national championship about 20 years ago. Granted, he did take over Butch Davis's team that was already number two in the country and just didn't screw things up for a few years. But Larry Coker, the only other head coaching job he got afterwards was six years after he left Miami. It was at UTSA, and his record got worse every year. Then after Larry Coker, they hired Randy Shannon. Shannon has never been a head coach since. Then they went and they got Al Golden. Al Golden was similar to the turnover chain. He would wear suits on the sidelines. Al Golden has never been a head coach since. Then they got Mark Rick, big-time hire. Problem was, Rick was kind of half-retired. He also had some health issues. That's why he had to step away. And their best season in the last 20 years did come under Mark Rick. Then you had Manny Diaz, who was there for a couple years. He was just fired. We'll see if he's hired as a head coach at some big-time program anytime soon. And now you have Mario Cristobal. If you also go back and look at those coaches, Larry Coker had never been a head coach. Randy Shannon had never been a head coach before Miami. Al Golden was a head coach at Temple. Mark Rick, again, big-time coach. He's kind of the outlier. The only time they've won double-digit games the last 20 years was with Mark. He also had them ranked number two back in 2017. So he got Miami for a short time back to the Miami of 20 years ago. Then he had some health issues, right? Couldn't invest the same energy, had to step away from the program. Maybe things would have been different the last couple of years if he stayed on. Then he had Manny Diaz, never been a head coach before. We'll see if he gets another opportunity. Meanwhile, Mario Cristobal, right, won a national championship as the offensive line coach with Alabama. Went to a Rose Bowl with Oregon. Brought in the first ever top 10 recruiting class at Oregon. Won national championships as a player with Miami. He's been a head coach at multiple places. He has had success before. He has believed that if he has enough success at Miami, he could be the one that replaces Nick Saban at Alabama. When you go back and you look, when Miami was most successful, where did their coaches go? They went from Jimmy Johnson to Dennis Erickson to Butch Davis. What do they all have in common? They all left for the NFL. When Miami was at their best in the 80s, the 90s, up to Larry Coker 20 years ago, actually winning national championships, they had Jimmy Johnson as the head coach. He left for the Dallas Cowboys. They had Dennis Erickson as the head coach. He went to the 49ers, big brands. They had Butch Davis as their head coach. He went to the Cleveland Browns. Not quite as big of a brand, but still made the jump to the NFL. Those coaches were good enough that the NFL was interested. The last 20 years, the coaches haven't been good enough. Nobody in college football is even interested. Randy Shannon. Hasn't been a head coach since. Al Golden. We'll see about Manny Diaz. Larry Coker had to go to UTSA six years later to finally have another opportunity. And for the first time in a long time, Miami truly has that adult in the room. You don't need Al Golden on the sideline with his corny suit and tie trying to think uh, you know, like he's um, uh, uh, Curly Lambeau back in the day. Or Manny Diaz the last couple of years with the corny turnover chain. It's the U. 
you don't need to bring yourself down to that level. And that's what Mario Cristobal realizes. Like, we're better than this. We can rise above this. We don't need some hokey turnover chain to draw attention. We're going to go out there. We're going to play good football. And you have a guy that truly cares about this program. He wanted to get back home. He's from the area. He went there. This is where he wants to be. And I always say that about hiring guys at your alma mater. They care more than the average person because they have that connection. And for the first time in 20 years, maybe, excluding a year at Mark Rick, Miami finally has that guy that could get Miami back to where they would like to be from 20 years ago. And I think the rest of the ACC should be concerned. Here was Cristobal yesterday on um, First Take talking about the connection he has to this program, how special it is for him to be back, how important it was for him to get back to Miami. Well, Miami is like, it's everything to me. Being a Miami hurricane, it's, it's been in my blood forever since I was a kid. I used to do everything possible to bust my butt to get to the Orange Bowl to watch them play. I used to come over to practice when I was in high school and watch Michael Irvin and Benny Blades and Jerome Brown and Winston Moss and some of those just absolute super studs go out. Alonzo Highsmith is with us now. So to have the opportunity to play there and it being such a game-changing experience for me in my life, to be able to have this opportunity to come back home, this is, it doesn't, it's the ultimate of ultimate. So fired up as it could possibly be. Yeah, you know he cares, and he wants to be successful and win there. For the first time in about 20 years, Miami finally has that guy in the room that can take advantage. Miami's kind of like a sleeping giant. They just haven't hired the right coach. They thought Mark Rick would be that guy. Unfortunately, he's had some health issues, had to step away from the game, not coaching anymore. But all the other guys, bunch of failures. Right, they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different coaches in the last 16 years. Now you have a guy who wants to be there, won't look to jump at the first opportunity, has had success at a previous program, has that connection of being a guy who used to play there. Look at the job Shane Beamer's doing for South Carolina. He didn't even graduate or play there. He was just once an assistant coach at South Carolina. And he's somebody that comes in and looks like he cares more than any other coach about that program. You know Cristobal is going to be the same way at Miami. I think they win the Coastal this year. I don't think in year one they'll be ready to compete or keep up with Clemson. It could be interesting. But I think the rest of the ACC, and this is like a warning, watch out. Mario Cristobal comes into Miami. I think he's finally the right guy that could take advantage of all those resources. He knows we don't need a turnover chain. That's below us. We're better than that. Past coaches, that wasn't the case. Now Miami, they have a real coach in there that could take advantage of how good this program can be. Let me shift to this. The second half of the baseball season unofficially begins tonight. We had some games yesterday. We have already passed the midway point. But after the All-Star break, when everybody gets back to playing baseball, this is when we consider the true second half of the season. The Braves will face Otani tonight. Should be interesting. What's also interesting, the next 11 days. According to reports, those in Major League Baseball believe Juan Soto is going to be moved by this trade deadline. Then we got this report yesterday, or really just a prediction on MLB Network, where they were doing bold predictions. And one of their analysts said, Shohei Otani will be traded to the Atlanta Braves in the next 11 days. I don't think it's going to happen. But could you imagine the next week and a half where potentially Juan Soto is on the move and Shohei Otani, two of the best players in the sport? We will have never seen a July like that before. In fact, the last time that an MVP was actually traded, a former MVP, was traded at the July deadline, you have to go back to Ricky Henderson in 1993. It happened in 1992, I believe it was Jose Canseco. I believe those are the only two times it's ever happened. If Otani is traded in the next 11 days, he'd be another former MVP traded at the July deadline. We rarely see this because you don't give up talented players like that. 
Juan Soto has not been an MVP yet. He's won all sorts of other awards, but we know he's an MVP talent, and he's only 23. Imagine if both of them get moved in the next 11 days. We will have never seen a deadline with that much star power on the move, at least that I can recall, in Major League Baseball history, and the impact it would have on the sport moving forward. I said this the other day about the All-Star game. This is the problem for Major League Baseball, that you have these great stars. They're on terrible teams, so nobody cares. When you have great talent in the NFL, their teams usually are not terrible because that great quarterback can have that big of an impact. In the NBA, same idea. You put LeBron James on some awful Cavs teams, he's good enough that they're always going to be interested. They may not be winning the championship every year, but they're going to be in the hunt. They're not going to be like the Angels, who have had five straight losing seasons with Otani. They're not going to be like the Nationals, who have one of the worst records in all of baseball with Juan Soto. And so these teams have to move these guys, well, in the case of Juan Soto. In the case of Otani, it's not as clear. He's set to be a free agent at the end of next season. Belief is he doesn't want to re-up with the Angels because five straight losing seasons. They just fired their manager again. It's a bit of a mess. He wants to go somewhere where he can actually win. And his contract's up at the end of next year. So if you're the Angels, much like the Nationals, the whole reason why Soto would be on the move now is because he's not going to re-sign with the Nationals. And so they figure, well, we might as well trade him and get the farm for him. And why would you trade him now? Well, because the Nationals are bad. They're also trying to sell the team, so they're trying to reduce payroll. And the third part is because you could get more for Soto now than if you wait. He still has two and a half years of team control left. So whoever you're trading him to, they would have him for three pennant races. They'd be willing to trade more for that. Same idea right now with Otani. If the Angels believe, yeah, we're not going to be able to keep Otani beyond next year, you could trade him now to a team that will get him for two pennant races. They'll give you a lot more for one of the best players in the sport. That's if the Angels believe he won't re-sign with them. Reports are, if Otani becomes a free agent next year, he'd want to go to the Mets. The GM with the Angels that signed him originally is now the GM of the Mets. Plus, it's New York. It's a big city. The Mets are a good team. And the Mets have also had, over the years, plenty of uh, big-time Asian players. You had Matsui with the Yankees, but the Mets also had Kaz Matsui, and they had uh, Shinjo come on the team 20 years ago. They've had guys over the years, Bruce Chen pitched in New York, and you have those connections from years in the past as well. A lot of times these players come over and they want to be on the West Coast because it's closer to home, like Ichiro and uh, what was it, Kaz Sasaki, the Mariners' closer in the early 2000s. They like to stay on the West Coast. But if, if Tani's on the move, people believe it could be to the Mets a year from now. So if you're the Angels and you think we're going to lose them anyways, you might as well trade them. And at least one person at Major League Baseball Network believes the Braves could be a team that could acquire Otani. We also had reports that the Braves could be the team that get Jacob DeGrom when he hits free agency. The Braves are believed to be big-time players for big-time players. I don't think it happens, but if we do, over the next 11 days, get both Juan Soto and Shohei Otani on the move, it'd be the craziest week we've had in the middle of a baseball season, maybe ever at least since 1994 when they shut down the season, or maybe 2001 when we had to pause the season. But in terms of actual baseball and building rosters and player movement, I don't know if we've had a trade deadline that would ever match, potentially, Soto and Otani being moved. I could see Soto getting traded. I don't think Shohei Otani will be traded in the next 11 days. But with what's going on with Soto and the Nationals, it brings up a fair point to the Angels. Like, hey, maybe you should try the same thing because the belief is Otani may not want to re-sign there a year and a half from now when he becomes a free agent. Could the Braves add Shohei Otani? It'd be huge. In the meantime, they'll face him tonight to begin the second half of the season. Speaking of the second half of the season, it pains me to say it, I think the Houston Astros are the team to beat. They just swept the Yankees yesterday in two games. The Astros and the Yankees this year, 
uh, have played seven times. They won't play again until potentially the postseason. The Astros went 5-2 and two against the Yankees. They only trailed for two of 64 innings. The Yankees never began an inning with a lead. They only led in two innings because they walked off. Those were their only two wins, a couple of walk-offs, which the analytical crowd will tell you, eh, a little bit of luck if you win on two walk-offs. If you're 50-50 in walk-offs, all right, it's even. All right, when you're winning on only the walk-offs, a little lucky. The Yankees also hit 151 against the Astros this year. That's the lowest for the Yankees against any opponent ever in the long history of that team, which is my concern for the Yankees come playoff time. They're reliant on the home run. Outside of Aaron Judge, that lineup's not deep enough, and they have been exposed by Houston. Again, because of the cheating scandal, it pains me to say, but I think the Astros are the team to beat. They went 5-2 and two against the Yankees this year, dominated them, led for almost every inning. They went 4-0 and oh against the Mets, dominated, led for almost every inning against the second-best team in the NL. The Astros have the second-best record in the AL, only behind the Yankees, who they've dominated. I think Houston's the best team in baseball as we start the second half of the season. Here was uh, Aaron Boone after the game last night talking about the Yankees being unable to get past Houston. Look, it's not, the narrative's not going to change, Dan, until you beat them in the playoffs if, if that day comes. I mean, we beat them four out of six last year, and they didn't hold leads. Where'd that get us? It, I understand it's a big story. I understand the season we're in. It, it, it's not going to matter unless October. So we're going to, if we if we happen to come back here in October, we're going to show up. We're going to expect to win. We think we're really good. They're really good. Don't overstate this. Aaron Boone yesterday, and I like that idea. We think we're really good. They are really good. And despite the Yankees, the talks about hey they could set the record for most wins, I think the Astros are actually the better team this year. Which takes me back to the Atlanta Braves. You know, the Astros and the Yankees have the two best records in the AL. They also have the two best bullpen ERAs in the league. But when you go back and you look, the Astros, in their two losses against the Yankees, lost on walk-offs from the bullpen. Yesterday, in game one of that doubleheader, blew their lead because of the bullpen in the ninth inning. The Yankees, when they've been scuffling, the Yankees are 13-13, and I think it is, in their last uh, 26 games. They've been playing 500 baseball for the last month. And a big reason why is because the bullpen has been struggling. Bullpens are so important, especially when you get to the postseason. You go to the bullpen sooner, you get more innings out of the bullpen. The Astros and the Yankees have been so good this year because of their bullpens. But when both have struggled, it's because the bullpen has faltered. That takes me to the Atlanta Braves. Because when you look at the best bullpens in the league, the Orioles have the fourth best ERA for bullpens. They've also been one of the best teams in baseball the past month. A big reason why the Orioles have suddenly become so good is because their bullpen is one of the best in the league now. And the Braves are right behind them. The Braves have the fifth best ERA from the bullpen in baseball. And that's a big reason why the Braves have been so good this year. And a big reason why once we get to the postseason, they can make another run as well. The bullpen's been a concern in the past, not as much this year for Atlanta. And the bullpen's the hardest thing to put together, but it's the most important thing. The Yankees, the Astros, the reason why they've been so good? Because of the bullpens. The reason why they've struggled at times this year? Because of the bullpen. The Braves have the fifth best ERA from a bullpen. The Dodgers are right behind them. And the Dodgers have the best record in the NL. The bullpen's the hardest thing to navigate year to year and throughout a season. Relievers are the most inconsistent baseball players. But the bullpen's also the most important thing. And that's a big advantage to the Braves. They have a better bullpen over the course of this season so far than the Mets. They have one of the best bullpens in the league. And if it stays consistent, it will give them a chance once again in October. When we come back, it's time to preview the SEC. We've been doing a Power 5 conference every day. We finish it up today. 
with the best conference in football. I'll let you know how the SEC will finish up this year in 2022. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. We finish up our week of previewing the Power Five conferences with the big dogs. We look at the SEC today. I'll let you know my predictions for the conference and who finishes where. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We started the week by looking at the Pac-12, Big 12 on Tuesday, ACC on Wednesday. Yesterday was the Big Ten, and today the SEC, the best conference in football. If you ever miss anything from the show, such as those breakdowns, you can always find the show on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast, or find the podcast online at charlestonsportsradio.com. And with that, it's time to preview the SEC and give you my predictions for the upcoming season. The music finally fits. The shoe fits when it comes to the SEC. We'll start in the East because the East, while it has South Carolina, the West is always more interesting. It's the best division in football, and I always save the more interesting division for last. Let's start with the SEC East, and we always work our way up from 7-1. to one. It's obvious Vanderbilt is that bottom feeder. I've been talking about it all week. Every conference and really every division has that guy. Like George Costanza says in Seinfeld about all friend groups. Every friend group has that person that you just pick on. George thought it was Elaine. That was the joke. It's really it's George. In this case, it's Vanderbilt in the SEC East. 2-20 and 20 in their last 22 games overall. They lost to an FCS team by 20 last year. They have lost 21 straight conference games, the longest drought for Vanderbilt in 19 years, and they haven't been favored against a Power 5 team in four seasons. It has been 29 straight games against a Power 5 team in which they've been the underdog. Vanderbilt, once again, regardless of what Clark Lee said this week, they'll be the worst team in the SEC and probably right there with Kansas as the worst teams in Power 5 football. Missouri I put in sixth place. They lost their quarterback and running back from last year's team, and their defense allowed the most points in the SEC. They fired their defensive coordinator. They brought in a new defensive coordinator who was a defensive coordinator at Miami but only in title because Manny Diaz was the defensive guy. And before that, I think at Louisiana Tech, the SEC, a little bit different. Then you have Eli Drinkwitz, who I'm not sold on just yet. We always talk about in college football, it is that third year is the big year for coaches. If you go back and you look at the great coaches, they take off in the third year. Drinkwitz, this is a third year. He's under 500 his first two years total. And under Drinkwitz, Missouri, 2-8 and eight on the road, 1-7 against ranked teams. You're not going to compete in the SEC if you can't win on the road and you can't beat good teams. I think Missouri is bad this year. I think they're worse than a year ago. I think Drinkowitz will be on the hot seat, and I think they finish in sixth. Then we get to the more interesting teams. I'm going to put Florida in fifth in the SEC East. I think they'll be improved from last year's team, but they're still a year away. They were a mess a year ago. Now, I do think Florida was a little bit better a year ago than the record would indicate. They were just, again, a mess. But they 
had more yardage gained than their opponents in conference play. Usually leads to a winning record. They had three close losses a year ago. Season could have been different, maybe with a different coach. And I'm a big Dan Mullen guy. Well, they have a different coach now in Billy Napier, who was the guy I wanted the Gamecocks to hire. So I think simply just by making that move, by having a clean slate, Florida's going to be better. And if Anthony Richardson is potentially that star that people think if he hits that ceiling, Florida maybe could be pretty good this year. But I think they finish in fifth place. I think it's still a work in progress for uh, Napier. Let's come back in uh, 2023. This year, they'll be good, they'll be better. But I still put them in fifth. Right behind the Gamecocks. I have the Gamecocks finishing fourth in the East. You get nine starters back on offense, and now you add Spencer Rattler to the mix. And that's the big thing. Now, we talk about the Gamecocks a lot, of course, so I don't have to spend a ton of time here. I've told you that what you think about the Gamecocks this year probably depends on if you look at the glass half full or half empty. Last year was an impressive first season for Shane Beamer. You did it with four quarterbacks. Now you get Spencer Rattler. You should only go up. The negative person would say, yeah, but they got blown out by all the good teams they played, lost by 30 in each game, and beat a bunch of bad teams. So maybe that record last year was a little hollow. Maybe they're not quite as good as we think they are right now, even with Spencer Rattler. My concerns for Rattler would be you're going into a tougher conference with less help around you. Should we expect improvement in that situation? We'll see. But I'll say this about the Gamecocks. Look, the defense was good last year. The offense was terrible because they didn't have a quarterback. Now you get nine starters back on offense, so continuity, and you have the best quarterback on paper you ever had. South Carolina last year, they were 7-2 and two when they scored 15 points or more. That's all. 15 points. 7-2 and two when they scored 15 points or more. That's how good the defense was a year ago. If you could just get two touchdowns and a field goal, they went 7-2. and two. Now you add Spencer Rattler to the mix. If the defense, which lost some pieces, can be somewhat close to a year ago and Rattler adds a few more points to the offense, maybe the Gamecocks do win eight games. I put South Carolina in fourth place. I have Kentucky finishing in third in the East. Last year, they had a good season. Finished second. Went to a bowl for the sixth straight year. And yet, they were minus 11 in the turnover margin. And... uh, we're plus yardage in SEC games. They could have been maybe even better than they were. They also allowed, I don't know if people realize this, Kentucky allowed as many points as Alabama did last year in the conference. Now, sure, they're in the easier division, but that defense is always good under Stoops. It was really good last year. They gave up the second fewest points in the SEC, only behind Georgia. So you know Kentucky's defense is always going to be good. And then on offense, you get the running back back from last year, and you get Will Levis back, who may turn himself into a lottery pick in the NFL this year. The concern, although maybe it's a blessing, is that they bring in a new offensive coordinator. He comes from the NFL. So maybe that actually helps. Maybe it makes things even better. Maybe Levis takes that big step forward and becomes a star. I think Kentucky will be good. I think they probably win as many games as last year, but I put them in third place because I'm that high on Tennessee. I don't think Kentucky will take a step back. I just think Tennessee takes a big step forward to pass them this year. So I put Tennessee in second place. I would compare Tennessee to almost... Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. This is year two of Josh Heupel. Look at year two of Lane Kiffin last year at Ole Miss. In Lane's first year, they were 5-5. Five and five. Year two, they won 10 games. And Matt Corral, he was good year one, even better year two in that system. Last year, Tennessee, Josh Heupel comes in, they win seven games year one. Hendon Hooker, really good. Year two, can they take that step forward where Hooker's even better? He's in the Heisman race. 
and Tennessee wins double-digit games. Last year, Ole Miss was a top-10 team under Lane Kiffin. Could Tennessee crack the top-10 this year? Maybe. They have 15 returning starters from last year. They have eight guys coming back on offense, including the quarterback who I made the case earlier this week could be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. He's a sixth-year quarterback who is 24 years old. He's got a big advantage over the rest of the conference. I like Tennessee a lot this year. I think they finish in second. But nobody is going to beat Georgia. Now, granted, Georgia has the fewest starters back in the conference from last year's team. They lost eight guys on that historic defense. But yet, they're still the most talented team in the East. That's how deep they are. That's how good of a job they do. And they have the easiest ranked schedule for any SEC team because the East is a lot easier and their cross-division games aren't so bad this year. Georgia has the easiest schedule of any SEC team. They're defending national champions. They'll win the East once again. Then we transition to the West, working our way up from 7-1. to one. I put Mississippi State in last place. They have the second toughest schedule in the country this year. Now, they do return 17 starters from last year. They get almost the whole team back. They get their quarterback, Will Rogers, back, who will put up gaudy numbers. I just don't like the fit of Mike Leach and the air raid in the SEC. At least not yet. He's still trying to get his guys in there. He's been under 500 through the first two years. I know he's already been given a contract extension. I think Mississippi State, in this tough division, will finish in last. I wouldn't be surprised if they won only one conference game, maybe two. I'm not high on Mississippi State. I put Auburn in six in the West, though I do think Auburn will be better than some people think. It's just that the West is very difficult. Don't forget, Auburn was 6-2 and two last year before the wheels came off. But you get Tank Bigsby back. You get T.J. Finley back. So running back and quarterback are coming back. Problem is, Auburn has the toughest-ranked schedule in all of college football this year. And you have Harson, who is on the hot seat, and they don't really want him there. A little awkward. I think Auburn will be better than people anticipate. I told you months ago to take the over. I think it was six. Can they win as many games as last year and at least get you a push? I think so. But I still put them in six in the West. I put LSU in fifth place in the West. Nobody lost more players this offseason than LSU in the SEC. That's what happens when a coaching change occurs. But I'm a big fan of Brian Kelly. Now, much like Florida, he may be a year away. But if you go back and you look, Brian Kelly has had a winning record his first year at all three stops. And it's usually a pretty good record. I think he won like 10 games, year one at Cincinnati. I think he won nine games, year one at Notre Dame. He usually does pretty good right away. I think he turns around LSU quickly. They won't be ready to compete for the SEC in year one, but I do think they'll be pretty darn good. However, again, the West, incredibly tough. Somebody has to finish in fifth, so I'll put LSU here. Texas A&M I have in fourth place this year. They lost their quarterback, who beat Alabama. They lost Isaiah Spiller, one of the best running backs in the conference. They lost their number one wide receiver. They lost their top tackler. They have the second fewest starters coming back from the SEC last year. And most importantly, their biggest loss, their defensive coordinator, Mike Elko. Texas A&M has been led by their defense. Last year, they were 13th in passing offense. So I know Jimbo Fisher is this great offensive coach. They had the second-worst pass offense in the SEC last year. Now, it does help that they bring in Max Johnson, a little more of a veteran, played at LSU, son of an NFL quarterback, should have some improvement there. But under Jimbo Fisher, whether it's Kellen Mond, whether it's Calzada last year, it's been more about the defense than the offense. And now you lose the wizard behind the defense in Mike Elko. So I'm concerned about Texas A&M this year. Jimbo has a losing record on the road and a losing record against ranked teams in the SEC. As I said about Missouri, if you want to be good in this conference, you got to win on the road, you got to beat good teams. 
Jimbo has not done that at Texas A&M. I think there's a limit to their success. I put them in fourth place. Then we get to the top three of the West. I have Ole Miss finishing in third. They lost their quarterback, their offensive coordinator, their top four rushers, their top three pass catchers, their top two tacklers. Ole Miss has lost a lot. They brought in a quarterback from USC in the portal. They brought in a running back from TCU in the portal to start for them. A lot of moving pieces. Last year, they pulled off two upsets. They had two close wins. They were plus nine in turnover margin. Signs of potential regression this year when combined with all of their losses. They also have a brutal schedule the final month of the season. Ole Miss could potentially start 7-0 and and finish 7-5. and I put them number three because I have a lot of concerns about Ole Miss. The reason why I put them third is because of the case I made last week for Jackson Dart coming in, much like Matt Corral. They're just playing a Lane Kiffin system. It's more about the coach than the quarterback. They lose Matt Corral, but they still have Lane Kiffin. Despite all their losses, I think that offense will still be pretty darn good, and I think they finish in third in the West. I have Arkansas in second, Alabama in first. Alabama wins the West. They win the SEC. You got the best quarterback, the best defensive player, and the best head coach in college football. Sign me up. And Arkansas I put in second place. They have only three SEC true road games this year. They avoid the top three teams in the East in the cross-division schedule. You get K.J. Jefferson back, who was really good last year, should be better this year in his second year. You get their best defensive player, Bumper Poole, who has a fantastic name. He comes back, and you have continuity. Arkansas is one of, I think it's eight Power 5 schools that is bringing back all of their coordinators and their quarterback. And Arkansas last year was a top 20 team. Now they have some of the most continuity, some of the more experience in the conference. Sam Pittman's building a good program. I think Arkansas is going to be really good this year. Probably win 10 games and finish in second behind Alabama. They do have a tough schedule, but I like Arkansas that much that they'll win a lot of those games. My SEC predictions for the year. No surprise, Alabama and Georgia winning their divisions. I have Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Missouri, and Vanderbilt in the east. And in the west, I'll rank them Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, LSU, Auburn, and Mississippi State. The thing I'll say about the West, it is supposed to be the best division in football, and it very well could be. If you tell me Brian Kelly has immediate success, if you tell me Texas A&M with all this talent finally comes through, Ole Miss replaces Matt Corral, right? this could be a really good conference. Mike Leach breaks through in year three. Auburn's underrated. I could also make the case it could be the opposite because I also have concerns. I don't think Texas A&M will be some sort of playoff contender this year. Brian Kelly may be a year away. Harson may be on his way out at Auburn. Ole Miss may not be able to replace Matt Corral. And we could get to midseason looking at the West and seeing that, eh, it's really kind of Alabama and Arkansas, and then a big gap between everybody else. On paper, it could be the best division of football, or all the bad things could happen, and it could actually be not nearly as good as we anticipate. We'll see. When we come back, the biggest storylines in the SEC this year. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Let me tell you. And it's a world a man can eat at all. When things are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be doing for us?
Coming up, biggest storylines of the SEC this year. It's the more Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Gave you my predictions for the SEC last segment. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. We have the official SEC preseason media poll that was released about an hour ago. The only difference is, well, there's a few. I agree with the SEC media, Vanderbilt, Missouri, bottom two teams in the East. I had South Carolina 4, Florida 5. The media has it flip-flopped. They put Florida 4, South Carolina 5th. I had Tennessee 2nd, Kentucky 3rd. The media flipped that, and they, of course, have Georgia number 1. Georgia received 172 first-place votes compared to um, 9 votes for other teams. South Carolina got 3 first-place votes. Florida got 0. South Carolina picked to finish 5th despite 3 first-place votes. Kentucky got the second-most first-place votes, and then South Carolina the third-most in the East. For the West, Alabama picked to finish first and done so by 177 out of 181 participating media members. The media puts Texas A&M second ahead of Arkansas and Ole Miss. I have Texas A&M fourth behind Arkansas and Ole Miss. And then LSU fifth, I agreed with that. Mississippi State sixth, Auburn seventh, I had that flipped. I put Mississippi State in last place and Auburn in six. So a couple of differences in my predictions and the media poll released this morning for the SEC. We'll see how things play out this fall. When it comes to the SEC, what are the biggest storylines? We've been breaking down each conference, each Power Five conference, you know, each day this week. And I've given you the five biggest storylines. When it comes to the SEC, I don't know if I can limit it to five. I feel like each team has a big thing to watch with them. And that's why the SEC is so interesting and the best conference in college football. Of course, all the talent and the national championships help, but there's a lot of intrigue as well. For Georgia, you have the repeating champs. How can they do as a follow-up, especially losing all those pieces on defense? For Kentucky, they're not as exciting of a football program, but can they exceed what they've already accomplished? I think Kentucky has hit their ceiling. I think what they did last year is kind of the tops. And I think they'll match it this year, but I don't know if they'll ever succeed that. I think that's a big question, though, for Kentucky. Can they do even better than what they've already done? Six straight bowl games, right? Mark Stoops is like setting all sorts of records there. I don't know if he could take them any higher. Tennessee, I think, will take a big step forward in year two. And Hendon Hooker could actually be the best quarterback in the SEC by year's end, not Bryce Young. For Florida, you replace Dan Mullen with Billy Napier. Can he get them back towards the top of the East in year one. South Carolina, I think the biggest thing is really Spencer Rattler. We'll see how Shane Beamer does in year two. Can they build off of last year? But what can Rattler bring to the table? And then Missouri, I would say Drinkowitz, third year, kind of on the, you know, getting on the hot seat here. And Vanderbilt, they bring the less intrigue because they're just such a poor football program. In the West, Alabama, you know, for Nick Saban, um, of course, it's the matchup with Texas A&M is maybe the biggest storyline in the SEC this year. Everyone's going to be paying attention October 8th. But Saban usually does his best work when he's ticked off. You know, they lost to Georgia in the national championship game. If you go back and you look, whenever Saban loses in the SEC title game or in the playoff, he doesn't actually win the national championship. That's when they usually win the following year. And they have the best quarterback and the best defensive player and the best coach, probably all three, right, in the country. We'll see how Alabama responds this year. There's a reason why people have higher expectations for them than Georgia. Texas A&M, again, their game with Alabama. But more than that, just Jimbo Fisher trying to elevate this program to where many believe they should be. 
as I said last segment, I've said for months, when you look at Jimbo Fisher, the success he's had at A&M, yes, it's tied to his recruiting. But on the field, it's mostly tied to the defensive coordinator he just lost in Mike Elko. Kellen Mond, we always said, like, yeah, he's kind of underwhelming. Last year, the offense was the second-worst passing offense in the conference for a guy who was considered one of the best offensive coaches. A&M just had the greatest recruiting class of all time. Now you actually go out there, you got to win some of these games. you got to win a few more games than you have. For Arkansas, just I guess the big question, the big storyline is if they can continue to grow. They went from winning no conference games to three wins, Sam Pittman's first year, to last year nine wins being a top-20 team. Can they crack the top-10 this year, win double-digit games, actually compete with Alabama for the West? Maybe. For Ole Miss, how can they replace Matt Corral? Top-10 team a year ago, third year of Lane Kiffin. Again, third years, usually that breakthrough year. But he has to replace his star quarterback. I think he can do it. But how will Ole Miss respond this year after the great season they had a year ago? For LSU, you wonder what Brian Kelly can bring year one, trying to turn around that storied program. For Auburn, the big storyline, one of the bigger ones in the SEC, is just Brian Harson's future. They tried to run him out of town after last season. I'm sure they'll try it again this year if the team does not have a very good year. And they're picked to finish last in the media poll, so most people believe they're not going to have a great year. Now, I have told you, take the over, right? Six-plus wins. They won six games last year despite being a mess. Can they match that total this year? I think they can match. I think they go six and six again. Maybe they win seven games this year. Tank Bigsby, one of the best running backs in the conference, is coming back. Their quarterback's coming back. And then lastly, Mississippi State, I go back to that third coach idea, or third, uh, third year for a coach idea, where if you go back and look historically, right, third year is the big breakthrough. Well, this is year three for Mike Leach. So far, he has an under 500 record. And Leach is a little bit of an exception compared to the other coaches because you know with his air raid system, it takes a little more time. you got to get all your guys in there. It's almost like Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech changing things you know, from an option offense to a pro style. It's a little bit different. You rework the whole program and the whole roster. you got to get rid of all those guys and bring in a whole new team, and it takes a while to build up some depth and get that talent and put some wins together. So Leach should have a little bit of a longer leash than most coaches, but year three was just given an extension, has a losing record so far, quarterback's coming back. What can you do in year three with his style of play in the SEC? So instead of just limiting it to five storylines, like we've been doing for all the conferences this week, I'll just give you the thing I'm most curious to see, or I did give you the thing I'm most curious to see for every team in the SEC this year. The biggest storylines from start to finish, uh, Georgia's follow-up, Alabama is the title favorite once again, and then most notably, probably Alabama and Texas uh, A&M's game on October 8th. In terms of a single regular season game this year, that may be the bigger, biggest one. Bigger than the rivalries. Hey, I saw Kirby Smart said he wants um, you know, the games with Florida to return to campus. I'm kind of split on this whole thing. I think it's fun to have a neutral site. You can have people come from all over. It's a big stadium. Right? It's fun. It's a neutral. You don't have any sort of home field advantage. But isn't the great thing about college football? Going to Penn State for the whiteout, right? Like having that experience of being on campus at a stadium, going to the big house. I think it would be tremendous if you played those games at Georgia and then at Florida, right, in the swamp. That would really be incredible. I think that's what college football is about. Instead of playing in NFL stadiums and neutral cities. Bring them on campus with the students there in the wild environments. That'd be a lot of fun, too. Hour two coming up next. We uh, will try to build the best NFL team we can. Hour two next.
WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Back again, Sadie's back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. Guess who's back? 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 Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll try to build the perfect 17-0 and team. I'll come up with mine. Trent will come up with his. And then we'll have them battle in Madden or something to try to figure out who actually did a better job. Plus, my biggest concerns for each team in the NFC. We'll get to that later on. Jimbo and Saban trying to... Bury the hatchet at Media Days this week as we look ahead to that matchup in October. And a whole lot more to get to throughout the afternoon. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. Podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can always get in touch with the show at charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page and leave a comment for the show there. Get to us on Twitter at Moro Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can always join the conversation on the phones, 843-608-17. Nope, that's the text line. 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Hey, there's a blood drive coming up a week from today, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Cruise Chevy. A Red Cross blood drive that gives you a chance to save a life. Next Friday, you can sign up today at redcrossblood.org and use the sponsor code CRUISE. Walk-ins are welcome, but appointments are preferred. And, of course, not only are you helping others by donating blood and, you know, doing a good deed, but all donors will receive a complimentary certificate for an oil and filter change, tire rotation, and more. And donors will also be automatically entered for a chance to win an exclusive Shark Week merchandise package. That includes a kayak, a paddleboard, and more. That's some good stuff right there. And it's Shark Week themed. So if you go and you donate blood a week from today at Cruise Chevy, not only are you helping out others, but you also get a certificate to uh, you know help out your car, and you could potentially win some cool Shark Week merch, like a kayak, a paddleboard, and more. Go give blood a week from today at Cruise Chevy, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Trent, are you into Shark Week at all? You know, it used to be, Luke, when I, when I was a younger lad, obviously the sharks were very intriguing to me, but now it just seems a little kitschy. Like, I need them going out there trying to find the Megalodon and stuff like that, and they're just not doing it. It's a lot of Sharknado, things of that nature. Not really a fan of it, but I wish, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was, uh, you know, in the commercial summoning all the sharks for uh, Shark Week, so I don't know what that big fella's going to have to do with any uh, Shark Week, but we'll see. We'll see. I love the Impractical Jokers. Ooh. They're going to be part of Shark Week, so I may watch that. I've never been into Shark Week. No. Now, the comedian J.B. Smoove, who was on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think it has to be fake. I think it was a bit, but I know articles were written about it. 
He thought he was signing up for Shark Tank, mm. as the story goes. Uh, must have misheard his agent or whatever. And then he shows up for the shoot, and he's got to go out like on the ocean. It was Shark Week. <laughs> now, I feel like it was all a setup to just be comical, but like people actually wrote articles, maybe because they fell for it. I don't know. But I don't know how you could screw that up. You think you're going to Shark Week, and I don't watch it. I don't know if he shows up in a suit. He thinks he's going to be on, uh, on Shark Tank, rather, and it's uh, Shark Week instead. But J.B. Smooth's a funny guy. I never liked Shark Week. My uh, friends used to be really into it, and then it was always it always seemed to be on at the time that I would go I would go with a friend and his family, and a few of us would go to uh, Rockport, Massachusetts mm. on vacation, and that would always be the week of Shark Week. So we'd be going in the, the ocean that week and everything, and then you're, we'd go home, and they'd always want to watch Shark Week, and I'm seeing right. you know, on TV sharks attacking people and everything. I don't want to go in the ocean on my vacation anymore. How do you feel about just sharks in general? I mean, are, is I there am. a fear of sharks when you get in the water? Because like, I know some people, like a, a cousin of mine, won't get in the He comes down here all the time. Uh-huh. He won't get in the ocean. He just won't do it. He, he doesn't do it. It has never stopped me. Okay. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that whenever I'm in the water, <laughs> even if it's like a small fu- – it's always in the back of my mind that I'm thinking of what could potentially be around me, and I'm always thinking of like my escape plan. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's never stopped me. I always go in the water. I'll even go a little deep, but I'm always thinking about it like, oh, boy, what would I do in this situation if I saw something? And then sometimes my foot would touch something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and you get a little freaked out. Like, what was that? It was just like some seaweed or a rock or something. <laughs> but, yeah, no doubt. I'll go in the water. I love going. Uh, I only go in the ocean, of course, to cool off, but I need waves. That's the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, no doubt. I just want to go play in the waves. <laughs> so, like, growing up in Connecticut, our shore is the Long Island Sound. We didn't get any waves. So we would always drive to Rhode Island because they have really good beaches and good waves, and we just go uh, body surf or go crash into the waves. There's no waves in the ocean. I'm not really interested. It's, it's, I'll go in a pool. What's the difference? You don't like a still body of water. Yes, exactly. Like you're not a lake guy now. Now I understand. No, not really. No, and also lakes. Uh, I, I, I love lakes. I enjoy the lake lifestyle. There's no doubt skiing and wakeboarding uh-huh. all day long, but you can never see what's you know under yeah, you. I don't ever, like that. Ever. And that's a problem. I don't like that. <laughs> I've seen too many movies, too, with uh, Jason Voorhees coming out of Crystal Lake. <laughs> I'm not going in there. I don't know what type of serial killer's hanging out under the water. No, thanks. Are you into uh, kayaking at all? Kayaking, paddleboarding, yeah, I mean, I'll do it. Unfortunately, I don't have any of those things because paddleboards now are incredibly expensive. Really? If, if you want a good one, like a fiberglass one, I love paddleboarding. It's one of my favorite activities. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But, yeah, I, I would like to, but they're a little pricey nowadays, inflation, obviously. Yes, of course. It's killing everybody. <laughs> you ever do uh, paddleboard yoga? You ever combine never, two of your interests? Ooh, never done paddleboard yoga, but I tell you what, Luke, that might be one of the more zen experiences uh, a human could ever have. You get me out there on a calm body of water while I'm in my shavasana, and I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I'll take your word for it, because I ain't never getting out there. I feel like I don't have the balance for a paddle. I don't know how easy it is on a paddleboard. I don't have great balance. I don't feel like I'd be good out there. That's not, it's not, the only problem with paddleboarding is if there's, you know, if you're in somewhere where there's a lot of waves, yeah. right, then that, that's an issue. But if you're in a lake, like I was doing paddleboarding in Key West, that was a problem. That, that was a big problem because the wind was massive and uh-huh. the waves were flowing. So you just got to be a nice, still body of water. That was like the last time I went snorkeling. I will never go snorkeling again. <laughs> it was miserable. The, ra- the waves were rough. So you stick your head under the water with your little snorkel or whatever, and the waves were just coming up over it right. and coming right down into my mouth. <laughs> and it was awful. It was so miserable. I was with my family on vacation, and I couldn't wait to get out of the stupid water. <laughs> and then the current was so strong, too. They tell you before you get off the boat and in the water, like, don't touch whatever it is. It'll, it'll, it's so sharp, it'll cut you wide open. Uh, the stuff underneath the water. Right. Um, whatever the term is. I don't know. I don't know oceans. <laughs> Anyways, the current's so strong that it's, like, pushing you. You're trying to swim away from these 
things uh, that are going to cut you wide open. The current's pushing you around, and it's coming down. Your st- you can't <laughs> breathe. Oh, that was so miserable. Never going to snorkel again. And it's such a dumb thing anyways. Go to a place where the water is clear. You don't even have to dip your head five inches under the water. You can just look and see everything. Right, or go all in and get the scuba tank yeah. and you know do 15 minutes under the water on the Great right. Barrier Reef in Australia. What That's right. Doing? Yeah, forget snorkeling. What a dumb <laughs> experience. So anyways. But if you go donate blood next week, you could try to get yourself a kayak and a paddleboard. Would you prefer to kayak or canoe? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I would have to say kayak because I feel like, uh, well, one, you can put an extra person on a kayak, but I'd probably say kayak. What's the difference? That's a great question. I don't know. One fits one person, right? And the other one fits multiple? Well, you can't. Like, there is some single-person kayaks, but I guess Ah. I've been calling them just a single-person kayak. That could, you know, be a canoe. I feel like they're built different. I don't know. I, I would probably be I would probably prefer to go out on my own because when you have another person I don't know sometimes you you're not on the same page and then oh, you're no just doubt. like going in circles or whatever <laughs> so I kind of like the idea of I'm just gonna go do my own thing and I'll be able to paddle myself wherever I want to go it's a nice workout I haven't I haven't been in a canoe or a kayak in years but back in the day I used to do that well if you're interested you could go give blood next week try to win one of those things hey while we're kind of on the subject. The College of Charleston was supposed to host the uh, Philadelphia 76ers for their um, training camp. And the Knicks had come down to use the TD Arena several years ago. The Magic, I guess, were here last summer. I I did not know. And, of course, they have the ESPN Charleston Classic everywhere. It's a very nice facility over there. So the Sixers were supposed to come. They ended up backing out, I guess. But the original idea why the Sixers were going to come, Doc Rivers said he wanted to get the guys away from Philadelphia to avoid distractions and also to show the history around this area. Now, I certainly get that. There's a lot of great history here. Um, when people come to Charleston, I mean, that's the th- they, they want to see the history. They want to experience Charleston and the surrounding area. So I get that part. But if you're Doc Rivers, I don't know. If you want to avoid distractions, I feel like Charleston, this is a nice place to be. I don't feel like you want to take your basketball team, your NBA, your pro athletes to Charleston with the idea that it's going to help them avoid being distracted. I right. think this is a place that, Guys with money could get easily distracted. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, especially, I mean, downtown. There's no doubt. James Harden would be having a blast on <laughs> King Street, no doubt. Now, I did get a text yesterday from uh, Everett, obviously the voice of uh, the College Charleston basketball team, yeah. and he said that he believes and he's heard that they the Sixers are coming to oh. Charleston. They're just not going to use the TD Arena facilities, uh. if you will. So hmm. uh, that's, the jury's still out, but there's potential we might have the Sixers you know, down here in Charleston. And, boys, if you're listening, you come downtown, I'll host you, baby. We'll that's have a right. good time. There's no doubt. That's right. Imagine that. You see Joel Embiid walking down King Street. That guy, he sticks out like a sore thumb. You'll be able to notice him anywhere if he goes anywhere in town. James Harden, oh, my God, that guy. He'll be there until the bars close down. <laughs> what are the good strip clubs in Charleston? As James is going to find out. And then Tobias Harris is still on the team, right? Because we have Tobias Harris's uh, uncle is a P1 listener that calls to the station all the time. Well, here comes his nephew, potentially. So that's interesting. Not Maybe just uh, not using that facility. I wonder where they would go or what they would use. I was thinking the uh, new North Charleston complex that they built. That's a, that's oh. potential they could use that. But the only really good spot to play basketball here if, like, for an NBA team would be TD Arena. You would think, so. yeah. So anyways, I found that interesting. Like, it's cool to have them come. Other teams have come. But Doc Rivers said, eh. We gotta go somewhere where they're not gonna be distracted. All right, let's go to Charleston. Like I, I feel like people come here on vacation. There's a lot of distractions here. Great weather, good people. You got beaches, nice downtown. 
I don't know if this is the place. I, I would go into the middle of nowhere where like they wouldn't want to leave the hotel or their Airbnbs wherever. Charleston. There's a lot of fun to be had around here. But it got me uh, thinking. I saw this list the other day of the worst attractions in every state. Now, for South Carolina, I don't even know who did this list. This is uh, oh, this was based off of a poll. For South Carolina, Myrtle Beach mm. was or is considered the worst attraction in this state. You know, Myrtle Beach, as somebody who grew up outside of South Carolina, you always heard great things about Myrtle Beach. People would go. I grew up in Connecticut. People would go on trips to Myrtle Beach. They go on golfing trips. You know, it's great weather, obviously great courses. But I do agree that I think Myrtle Beach is not exactly how people perceive it to be or anticipate it to be until you get there. And it's a lot of, speaking of like strip clubs and golf courses, uh, that's kind of about it. Yeah, I've grown up in Charleston basically my entire life, and no disrespect to the Myrtle Beach area, but if you're coming to visit the great state of South Carolina, I would highly advise that you come to the city of Charleston. Absolutely. And I don't say this just because I'm not pandering. Absolutely, Yeah, Charleston's the best place in the state, no doubt. And I've been to Columbia. I've been to the upstate. Green. I like Greenville a lot. Greenville I put number two. Great downtown area Greenville has. But I'd rather be in Charleston than Greenville for sure. But yeah, Myrtle Beach, eh, no thanks. The one place I haven't been, I'll say, is Hilton Head I want to get to. Oh, really? You haven't yeah. been out there? That's the one big spot in this state that I, I have not seen yet. Beautiful, I will say, though. I mean, you probably should just stay in Charleston. That's the, If you want to go to like a resort town, you know, and hang out in Hilton Head for a couple days, yeah, sure, absolutely. But if you want resort, downtown life, you know, beaches, everything like that, this is a place to be. Yeah, I agree. And we see a lot of celebrities coming, you know, vacation here. You were just telling me yesterday, A.J. Hawk is uh, here, I guess. Yeah, the Hawk family. The yeah. Hawk family's on so, Sullivan's. A.J., if you're listening, and we know that you are, come <laughs> stop by. A uh, friend of the show, uh, 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 Adnan Verk and his family were just here about a week ago, but he only spent one day in Charleston, and then they did Hilton Head the rest of the week. Got that backwards, no, as no, we no. just said. Um, Greg Olson and Luke Keekley were just here last week in Charleston. So you always see people that... Uh, Jimmy Buffett was here a couple weeks ago. You know, he's, uh, you know, people come to Charleston for a reason. Now, I know um, you're originally from Florida. Yes, sir. I lived in Florida. I love that on this point they said Disney <laughs> as the most overrated or the worst attraction in the state. I agree. Disney is overrated, especially if you live in the area. Now, I lived like an hour and a half away, but I had to go through Orlando enough that the, every time you try to go anywhere close to Disney, it, dis- it takes three hours. It's brutal. And then, actually, if you ever go to Disney, and I'm sure you, a lot of people listening you have, oh, the lines are so long, and you got to get one of those like speed passes. Everything's expensive. Number one, I think Universal's better. But number two, uh, for people that live in the state of Florida, like, again, I lived about an hour and a half away. I think I went once in the four years. Like, it's, it's a tourist thing. People that live in the area, you don't go to Disney. It's a, it's a pain instead. You avoid Disney. So I was happy to see that show up because similar to, like, Hilton Head, when you grow up away from the region – uh, you have these great illusions of wanting to go to Disney. And every family should go on a trip to Disney. It's a great experience for kids. Well, if you actually like, live in the state, there's a lot better things to do in Florida than go to Disney and waste your money for a day. Yeah, there's there's absolutely. I mean, I you know we grew up going to Disney every so often, obviously as kids. But I will say the the one fun part about Disney nowadays, Luke Morrow, is for you and I, obviously the 21 plus crowd, mm-hmm. is Epcot going to the countries and yes. having having some drinks in the different countries. That's the best part about Disney, in my opinion. I agree. The one time I've gone to Disney as an adult, I spent most of my time yeah. there. <laughs> I, I didn't go on like any of the rides or see the character. Like, I don't care about that Look, stuff. This is great. I got Paris and Barcelona yeah. right next to each other. I don't have to get on a plane. Tried all sorts of different beers got a great italian meal Oof. let me tell you that was a good time 
Just some other uh, ones before um, we get to our 17-0 and rosters in the NFL. In North Carolina, they say the Charlotte Speedway is uh, the worst attraction in the state. Georgia is Stone Mountain. Graceland. Elvis's Graceland for Tennessee is actually was actually chosen as the worst uh, attraction. And in Louisiana, Elvis's uh, actually it's uh, Mississippi, Elvis's birthplace was chosen as the worst attraction. Some other ones that um, stood out, the Rocky statue for Pennsylvania. That's another one that if you live in Philadelphia, just like uh, Pat and Gino's cheese steak, like you don't go. Those are all just touristy things. Everyone that visits Philadelphia wants to see the trophy, get a cheesesteak. Uh, and then the people, the locals, hate those that actually do those things. They go to Delisandro's. That's, That's the right. main one. Times Square for New York, same idea, right? Absolutely. If you live in New York City, you're not going to Times Square. The place is a dump, really. But all the time, you got to go into time. Would you ever go to Times Square for uh, for New Year's? Uh, no, no chance, no yeah. chance. And I have two family members who live in the city. We stay as far away from Times Square as possible every time I'm up there. I am with you. This one I'll disagree with. In New, in, uh, New Jersey, they say the Jersey Shore. Now, maybe if you watch the TV show, but I tell you what, we used to vacation. The Jersey Shore is under, that's a lot of fun. It's not like the, the Jersey Shore is like, um, it's, uh, no, don't do it with the fist pumping. Uh, the Jersey Shore is like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the term. It's not top tier. Like, if you want to go to fancy beach town, you're not going to the Jersey Shore. But it's for the everyman. It's a lot of fun. Love the good, uh, good Jer- Jersey Shore is a good time. I'm just looking at this map now for a few others. Mall of America, I've been there. I enjoyed it. It was fun in in Minnesota. And, uh, oh, the Alamo in Texas is listed on here. The Breaking Bad House for New Mexico. Ah, okay. Worst attraction. Okay. I believe people have, I think they sold the house since, and the people that live in the house, like it's an actual house, and I think the people that live there, like put up a, they don't want people coming around. Yeah. It's a normal house, so you go there, people do this all the time, like the uh, full house Homes in San Francisco, like they're just regular houses. I don't know what you, what you expect to see or do. People will go visit it and go, oh, there's the house, okay, right, just like I saw on TV, and then you move on. My brother went to go see uh, the, the the school they used in Boy Meets World and uh, Kindergarten Cop, the school that they use and like the homes and everything because he loves that movie. Same idea, like you drive by the ho- oh, there's the house. It looks just like it does on TV, and you keep driving, and that's about it. Hollywood was listed for California, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, Route 66, the Grand Canyon. These are all worst attractions for their states. That's about it, I guess. Well, Route 66, I took that trip, uh, the yeah. three-week road trip down. Uh, I mean, there's a highway right next to it. So you're either going 55 down Route 66 on some terrible roads or you're going 75 on the highway. It's like, oh, we're kind of on it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like... A couple last ones I'll mention real quick. Bourbon Street in Louisiana. I've never been, but I find that interesting. Field of Dreams in Iowa. I agree. Uh, forget that. The one I disagree with is in Ohio, they say the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was fun. So I'll disagree there. The, re- the rest of Cleveland, yeah, pretty forgettable. Right? Mistake by the lake. But uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, sign me up. And I actually did like Cleveland more than most people do. But that was just me. Hey, when we come back, we will try to build the uh, perfect 17-0 NFL roster. And we'll do that next. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Overhead Door Company, the original garage door company, serving you for over 90 years. Call 843-767-0028 or overheaddoorco.com. Overhead Door Company of Charleston, proud to open Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. 
Coming up, Trent and I will try to build the better 17-0 NFL roster. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Most of these, uh, like, internet trends I don't really pay much attention to. I never try to Tide Pod or any of these other things. But this one I actually do like because it's sports-related. I guess it's a TikTok thing. And it gives you a random NFL team, and you have to choose a certain position from that team to fill your roster. And the roster positions that you need to fill are quarterback, running back. I've seen people do three wide receivers. We're going to do two. Tight end. And then you draft an offensive line, and you just draft a defense. And so you get you know an, a random teams generated. You have to draft one of those positions. Now, I have seen a lot of people save quarterback for last to make it a little more interesting or challenging. Uh, we don't have to do that. You could draft a quarterback whenever. Okay, if uh, if a good one comes up, I mean, you gotta you know you gotta jump on the opportunity, right? Which is why people save it for last because instead of like taking a route, right, you just get whatever you're stuck with, which is intriguing. But for the sake of the exercise, let's try to put together the best roster we can. We will draft a quarterback, so that's what we're working with: quarterback, running back, two wide receivers, tight end, offensive line, and a defense using a random NFL team generator. I guess I'll go first, and then you build your team. We'll see who does a better job in this random exercise. So, with that said, let's fire up our NFL team generator. Oh, yeah. Here it goes. Luke, your first selection is the Los Angeles Rams. Wow. Oh, wow. Ooh, I think I got to grab Cooper Cup as my first wide receiver. There you go. There you uh, go. You know, uh, top three wide receiver in the league. I would add him. I'll avoid Stafford. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to go Cooper Cup. I like that. For good first start, first pick, Cooper Cup, receiver number one. Here we go. Let's get it again. Who we got, Trent? Who we got? Ooh. Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I'm going to have to – I'm not going to take the quarterback, Travis Kelsey. I'm going to take him uh, for tight end. Best tight end wow. in the league. Not even close. I love the guy. I think he could perform on any team. I'm going Travis Kelsey right here. I have to get him. Have to get him. I like the thought process because, yes, there's a there's probably a smaller gap between Mahomes and everyone else compared to Kelsey and everyone else. I, I, I like the logic. Right, and if you're just breaking down football, he's actually had the most receiving yards in the last like six years out of any pass catcher, including wide receivers. Give me that guy all day long. I hope you don't get another team with an actual good quarterback. <laughs> I hope you're stuck with just like the Giants. See who you got, Luke Morrow. Your next selection. Wow, your team, the Minnesota Vikings. Oh. Who are you going to take, Luke Morrow? Good question, because I could go Dalvin Cook, you one could. of the best running backs in the league. Or you give me Justin Jefferson to pair with Cooper Cup and have quite the wide receiver tandem. Or give me Kirk Cousins and we're going to a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, ooh. I think along similar uh, similar thought process to what you just had, I think Dalvin Cook, the top-tier running backs, is much smaller. I would love to take Justin Jefferson, but I'm going to take a gamble that I, I could get a top-tier wide receiver from another team. So I'm going to take Dalvin Cook from the Vikings as my running back to pair with Cooper Cup. There you go. All right. Let's see what happens. Who have I got? All right. Wow. I, got, uh, I, I do have the Tennessee Titans here. This is interesting, and I'm going to have to take Derrick Henry. There, there's, there's no doubt about it. I'm going to take Derrick Henry. I have to have him at running back. That's a great option. Even though he can't run through the tackles very well, I'm going to take him. He's a good running back option to have Luke Morrow. I like it. we got a couple good rosters so far. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Who are you taking from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Luke? Ah, good question. 
The Steelers. Uh, I don't know if the defense is, is good enough to take. Mm. But Mike Tomlin running that defense. Offensive line is shaky. Uh, obviously Money you, Mitch. Money Mitch. Yeah, you avoid, <laughs> you avoid the quarterback, of course. I don't know. Do you go with is Deontay Johnson uh, worth taking? Let me just ask you. I mean, this may sway my opinion, so maybe you don't want to answer correctly. <laughs> who is the uh, man? I don't know, Juju. Who is the? Uh, who would you say is the most talented player on the Steelers right now? Oh man, uh, I mean T.J. Watt. I, I would have to. True. I would yeah, have to right. say T.J. Watt. Now, offensively, uh, you already took a running back, but I mean Juju's yeah. with the Chiefs, so I would oh, have to right, say uh, I would. I mean, it's got to be Deontay Johnson would be be, be the second guy. Mm. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. I wow. guess I'll take the that's 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 a hit right there. That is a hit. That's a massive hit. I'm surprised you didn't take the defense. Nah, I'm gonna take my chances. I could get a better Steelers solid, but you know, last year kind of middle of the road. I'm gonna take my chances. I could wind up with a top ten defense by the time this thing's done. There you go. All right, let's see. Give me a good one here. Give me a good one. Oh man, the Detroit Lions. Let's go. That is, that's. You know, that's not in my favor, Luke Morrow, right there. Man, uh, the O-line is not great. Uh, the defense is horrendous. They're only, like, superstar, not even a superstar yet, but Amra St. Brown had a good late in the season. I'm probably going to have to go with him just to build up my receiving core because I feel like he could do a much better job if he didn't have Jared Goff as his <laughs> starting quarterback. So I'm going to take St. Brown here as my first uh, wide receiver. There you go, wide receiver number one. Man, that's difficult. That That's tough, Luke. Well. I don't feel so bad about Deontay Johnson, though. <laughs> At least they have Cooper Cup. <laughs> Let's see here. Who is Luke Morrow? Have... The Philadelphia Eagles. Who you taking All right. tomorrow? So I have quarterback, tight end, offensive line, and defense. I'm going to go offensive line with the Eagles. Okay. I think they have one of the best offensive lines in the um, in the NFL. And uh, they obviously have to protect uh, Jalen Hurts, who's going to be running around all over the place. So give me the Eagles, led by Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, or whoever's still there on that offensive line. I don't know who's even on the offensive line. <laughs> but overall, it's a pretty solid group. Uh, give me the Eagles' offensive line to protect whatever quarterback I wind up they with. They drafted Daniel Falalele from Minnesota, who's six foot nine, 400 pounds. So uh, there you go. That's my guy right there. <laughs> That's Absolutely. Your That's your dude. Let's go, Eagles O-line. Here we go. Here we go. Give me a good one. No more Lions. No more Lions. Good team. Good team. The San Francisco 49ers. Whoa. You know, actually, actually, wait a minute. You know who I'm going to take from the San Francisco 49ers? Their offensive line. Wow. I'm going to take Trent Williams and that offensive line. They move bodies. The 49ers, I was going to take Debo. I'm taking my chance once again, not getting a receiver. Give me the 49ers offensive line. I think they are an abs they're a unit. They're an absolute unit. Wow, I am shocked. Here we go. I'm going to grab Debo. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it, but not in this offense. Not in this offense that we're creating. Let's see who you got, Luke Morrow. The Las Vegas Raiders. Wow, who you taking from the Raiders? All right, so just to uh, be uh, keep things updated, quarterback, tight end, defense, I got to go Darren Waller, Ooh. one of the top tight ends in the, in the league. So wow. I don't have a quarterback yet, but give me Dalvin Cook, Deontay Johnson, Cooper Cup, Darren Waller, and that Eagles offensive line. I'll take him as my tight end. Man, Luke, your uh, your team's looking a lot better than mine as of right now. Let's get a good one here. Moneyball, Moneyball, Moneyball. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, no, don't do it to me. The Carolina Panthers. Let's go. Oh, jeez. I am not getting lucky here. 
Man, they have a terrible defense, but I'm going to have to go with their defense. I'm going to take the Panthers' defense because I need one more wide receiver. I have Now I have left a quarterback and a wide receiver, so I'll take the Panthers' defense. I don't like it at all. I'm really getting a bad shake here, Luke. I Mara. thought that was going to be karma for the listener who's upset that you excluded DJ Moore <laughs> from your wide receiver <laughs> rankings. I thought you were going to be forced to have to take DJ Moore right there. No, no, I'm out on DJ. Sorry to that uh, one listener. <laughs> let's let's see here. We got Luke Morrow. I need a quarterback in defense. Ooh, the Indianapolis Colts. Who you taking? Wow. Is Matt Ryan your guy? No. I, <laughs> I'm going to take my chances that I could do better than 39-year-old Matt Ryan, you know, hanging on to something here. I do like the Colts' defense. Uh, last year, I'm looking this up. This is not off the top of my head to be uh, fully transparent. But last year, the Colts were number nine in defense. So I'm giving me a you know giving me a top ten defense led by uh, South Carolina own uh, Darius Leonard. I'll take the Colts defense and hopefully I'll score enough points anyways that will help out my defense as well with this great offense I'm building. So give me the Colts defense. I'm not going to take Matt Ryan. I'll take my chances with my final pick that hopefully I can do better. I think Matt Ryan's like probably a bottom ten quarterback right now in the league. Certainly bottom half. So I'm going to take my chances I could do a, a top half quarterback. Give me the Colts defense. Yeah, his Madden rating was almost 79. It was really? just at 80. Just mm. at 80, Luke Mara. Yeah. That's not a good no, sign. No, thank you. Former MVP. All right, we got to get a good one here. We got to get a good one here. Ooh, the Cleveland Browns. Okay, and I will go ahead. Oh, man, that's difficult. Because, Well, how about this? What What's Deshaun Watson in this scenario right here? <laughs> what's Deshaun? Actually, you know, I don't want to be the guy to put Deshaun Watson on my team, quite honestly, because I don't like him. So I'm going to take Amari Cooper. How about that? I'm going to take Amari Cooper to build out my receiving core. And I'm Luke, we're both taking our chances here with the quarterbacks. We got one more slot, folks, quarterbacks. But I think Amari Cooper complements that uh, receiving room pretty well. Yeah, no, that's that's a good that's a good pick, a good save there at the end to get a good wide receiver. It's interesting as I said at at the beginning, a lot of people when they do this exercise on TikTok to make it more interesting, they save the quarterback for last to just get whoever you wind up with. We didn't intentionally do that, no. but here we are. We can't choose our quarterbacks now. It's uh, it's we're beholden to the spin of the wheel. Let's find out what quarterback I wind up with for my, for my team. Here we go, here we go, Luke. This is big. This Come is on, big. somebody good. Wow, the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens. No way. It worked out. Lamar Jackson. So, Luke, your roster right now: Lamar Jackson, Dalvin Cook, Cooper Cup, Deontay Johnson, Darren Waller, the Eagles' offensive line, and the Colts' defense. I mean, not bad. That's a seventeen and zero team if I've ever <laughs> seen one in my I life. Feel pretty good about that roster right there. Man, here we go. Give me my boy. Give me my guy. Give me my guy. No, man, the Patriots. Oh, Jeez. that is your guy. <laughs> that definitely ain't my guy. Soon to be MVP. Soon Mac to be Jones. Mr. Mike Tannenbaum. Yeah, Mac Jones is my quarterback. Well, Luke, I think uh, it's pretty evident who won who won this exercise <laughs> here. <laughs> so I have Lamar Jackson as my quarterback. Dalvin Cook is my running back. My wide receivers are Deontay Johnson and Cooper Cup. Tight ends, Darren Waller. Offensive line is the Eagles, used to uh, protecting a mobile quarterback. And my defense is the Colts. Pretty good roster. My quarterback is uh, none other than Mac Jones. Yeah. Running back, Derrick Henry. Uh, my wide receivers, Amras St. Brown from the Lions. Amari Cooper from the Browns. My tight end is Travis Kelsey. My O-line is the 49ers. And my defense is the Panthers. So there you go. Ooh, I, do. I, do. I would feel pretty good about my team. Yeah.
We're going to have to recreate these rosters in Madden. Yeah, we will. <laughs> and actually let the computer simulate the game and see what happens. You sound Your roster is a little bit like the Titans, right? Yeah. You got Der- Well, I mean, you have Derrick Henry, so that's why. But you got Mac Jones, Derrick Henry, maybe uh, not top-tier wide receivers. Amari Cooper's good, and, and St. Brown, is you know he's asleep. Don't sleep on him. Uh, but that's a team that you, you can pound the rock with Derrick Henry, play a little keep away. Mac Jones will be a game manager, and you try to win some games that way. Yeah, that's difficult. Uh, you know, we should have done one more spin to see who the head coach of the uh, of the uh, Ooh, of the program. Do you is. still have it up? I'll pull it up real quick. I'll pull it up. We can I do like that. that. I did not think of it. Because yeah, that's if good. we if we do that, we can you know we can have all the uh, all the deciding factors in there. Luke Mar, are you ready for your head coach? Yes. Sir? Here we go. No choice. Just whatever the wheel gives us. Let's whatever find a head the coach. The wheel gives us. Wow, the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is your head coach. Super Bowl winning head coach. Not bad. No doubt. I'll probably get Matt Rule knowing my luck here. (laughs) Let's let's see. We are a win now team. So (laughs) uh, give me a seventy year old head coach. That's fine. Yeah, I'm looking to build in the future. I'm building in the future here. Wow. Hey, I'm not mad at the, at the greatest coach of all time. Bill Belichick is wow. my head coach. Bill Belichick is my head football coach. Belichick and Mac Jones leading the way. Oof, now, that's a big – look, Pete Carroll's a good coach, but I would rather have Belichick, so that helps you close the gap a little bit. It does. It does. Uh, one last thing. You still got the wheel up? Get it up. Uh, hold on one second. <laughs> get, it, get it up. Sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. What do we need? What do uh, we need here? Just for fun. Let's see a third wide receiver. Third wide receiver. Because that's okay. what you're supposed to do. We scrapped a third wide receiver. Okay, no problem. Let's see third wide receiver, Luke Morrow. Wide receiver. Ooh, the Arizona Cardinals. Man, that's Woo-hoo. a good pick for you, Luke Morrow. Jeez. I don't care if he has to miss the six of uh, the first six games or whatever it is. Give me DeAndre Hopkins. Wow. Wow, man, what a roster. What a roster looking you got. good. All right, let's see here. Let's see here. Get Mac Jones some help over there. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Ah, not bad. The Washington Commanders. I'll take Terry McLaurin all day long. Scary Terry. Absolutely. Okay. Not bad. There we go. It's a good wide receiving core. Yeah. Amari, Terry, St. Brown. Not bad. Do we have any others before, before, I, close, <laughs> before I close it out? Uh, athletic trainer? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Stadium? Do we yeah. Have any stadium? <laughs> hey, that's not bad. That's a fun exercise. It's the best thing TikTok has provided us yet in all this. So if you're on social media, you could go uh, do it yourself with that filter they have on TikTok. But there you go. Those are our rosters. And uh, maybe we will try to find a way to actually incorporate these rosters into a game and put uh, put this to the real test and see which roster does better. But I feel pretty good about how mine wound up. The idea is to draft a 17-0 and team, right? So you want to draft the best roster. I like how my roster turned out. When we come back. Time for Trends Takes. It's the Mar Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Yes, back, 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 back again. Shady's back, back, back. Tell a friend.
Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, the biggest concern for each team in the NFC, including the Panthers and the Falcons. Plus, Jimbo and Saban trying to bury the hatchet this week and move forward ahead of that October 8th game. We'll get to the uh, persona non grata of the week and plenty more here throughout the final hour. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are always available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. When you head over to charlestonsportsradio.com, click on our show page. Not only will the podcast be found there, but you can also leave a comment for the show right there. And you can always get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or give us a call, 843-721-9500. I give you my biggest concern for all the AFC teams yesterday. We'll get to the NFC in just a moment. But an interesting report yesterday from Cam Marino, who covers the NFL and uh, covers Fal- the Falcons. And... Um, I think a couple other people had this as as well, but the Falcons are one of five known teams that have reached out to the 49ers about Jimmy Garoppolo. I find this interesting because Sam, um, uh, Atlanta certainly could use a better quarterback. And I do think Garoppolo, you drop him on that roster, he's better than what they already have, Desmond Ritter or Marcus Mariota. But the Falcons almost had, I know it's year two of Arthur Smith, they won seven games last year, it almost had this feeling that they were going into this year content on just rebuilding. They weren't looking to win now, especially Calvin Ridley suspension. You got rid of Julio Jones a year ago. There's not a ton of talent on the roster, especially on offense. They're spending the least amount of money on their offense of any team in the league, despite having an offensive coach, new GM, new head coach. This is only the second year. It just feels like a rebuild. So to go get Jimmy Garoppolo, it's one of those. I've said the same thing about the Panthers in the year in the years past, where like you don't know what you want to be. Same idea with the Panthers, where they've been preaching patience. Matt rules a seven-year contract. David Tepper said, oh, well, I knew it's going to take three to four years. And then you go out, and you get a veteran in Teddy Bridgewater, and you try to plug the hole with Sam Darnold and now Baker Mayfield, and they finally drafted a quarterback in Matt Corral last year. You had a chance to get like a Justin Fields. You know, they didn't do it. It's like, what do you do? Are you trying to rebuild, or do you want to try to win now? Do you want a veteran quarterback? Do you want to tear this thing down? And for the Falcons, Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of like Teddy Bridgewater, where I don't know how many games he's going to win you. He may not lose you some games. He'll be a bit of a game manager, a veteran, good guy to have in the locker room. Teammates like him. He'll be a grown-up in that room. But he'll win you too many games, like Teddy Bridgewater for Carolina, where you want to be really bad. If I'm the Atlanta Falcons right now, I'm going out there. Let's see what our guys have. Let's get a look at Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Maybe Marcus Mariota can play pretty well. But the quarterback draft class could be really good next year for the Falcons. That could be your future. And Atlanta, most projections have them as having one of like the bottom three, you know, worst rosters in the league. So you might as well go out there, let it ride, and try to draft Bryce Young next year, and that could be the future. Is Jimmy Garoppolo your future? I don't know. You know, then we could have the argument, well, you've seen Garoppolo in the NFL. You don't know about a quarterback in the draft what they could become. But then is Garoppolo the ceiling? Because I don't know if he's, especially in Atlanta, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Can you do better than that? So I think if you were to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo right now if you're Atlanta, that doesn't make you a playoff team. I wouldn't say the Falcons would make the playoffs. But what it would do is win you enough games that now you're not picking at the top of the draft. So it's one of those like caught in between. Are you trying to rebuild or are you trying to win now? I was surprised when I saw that report. I would not think the Falcons would be interested 
in Garoppolo or any other quarterback right now. I think you kind of suck it up. You accept, like, yeah, we're probably going to be pretty bad this year, but that's okay because we'll have a top pick next year. We'll get a big-time quarterback. We'll have a lot of young talent in the wide receiver position. Maybe we'll get Calvin Ridley back, and then a year from now, Brady may retire. We can really compete in this division. You get Garoppolo, it kind of screws up those plans. And maybe you go 6-11 and 11 this year. Great. Not going to make the playoffs, and you may be picking 10th in the draft, whatever it is. Was it worth it to get Garoppolo? You know, what's the difference? If you're going to be bad, you might as well be really bad with Marcus Mariota. And maybe you play your rookie quarterback this year. And by the way, Arthur Smith, you know, he knows Marcus Mariota from Tennessee previously. That's why he brought him in. So I would think he would, you know, like to have him be his quarterback. So maybe the Falcons are just doing their due diligence. Maybe there's no truth to the report. I don't know. But apparently five teams have reached out to the Niners about Garoppolo, and Atlanta's one of them. And I would be surprised to see them included on those five teams. Embrace the suck at this point. You're going to be bad. That's okay. Next year's draft's the big one, and hopefully that helps you turn things around. But adding Jimmy Garoppolo, it was like when you got Teddy Bridgewater. Like, are we going to suck for next year's draft, or are we going to try to be decent but not make the playoffs? You know, Bridgewater comes in, you win five games, you have the eighth overall pick, you don't make the playoffs. It's like, all right, now we're kind of stuck in nowhere, in, uh, in the middle of nowhere here. Decide what you want to be and go all in on it. Are you going to rebuild? Are you going to accept being bad for a year, or are you going to try to win now? And if you're going to try to win now, then what have you been doing this offseason for the last uh, you know eight months? Anyways, with that, yesterday I gave you my biggest concerns for every team in the AFC. Today, we'll look at the NFC. Go division by division. I'll give you my biggest concern for each team. NFC East. Dallas Cowboys. Biggest concern is actually the defense, and this is why. They led the league in forced turnovers last year. It is very rare that a team will lead the league in back-to-back years. I think back to the Chicago Bears a few years ago. They led the league in turnovers from defense. Got them to the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky. But you can't count on that. The next year, the defense wasn't nearly as good. They didn't make the playoffs. Fast forward now. Quarterback's gone. Coach is gone. Khalil Mack's not the same uh, defensive player. You can't rely on turnovers. The Cowboys averaged two forced turnovers a game last year. It's not going to happen this year. And when they did not get a turnover, they were just 1-3 and three last year. Plus, you lose Randy G- uh, Gregory for that pass rush. I think the Cowboys' defense won't be as good as it was a year ago. They were driven by turnovers. Go back and look. No defense was more valuable in the league than the Cowboys. Between the points the defense scored, the field position... Just the stops you get when you force a turnover, it's not going to be the case this year. I could also tell you, you know, the offensive line isn't quite as good as it once was. Ezekiel Elliott's over the hill. Dak Prescott's only been good when he's had really good help around him. I think the Cowboys take a step back this year. But the main reason why, you're not going to get 34 forced turnovers this year like you did last year. And that was a big reason why they were so successful. For the Eagles, biggest concerns to the quarterback, Jalen Hurts. I don't know how much you could take away from practices in June and July, but reports were he, it didn't look great. The rest of the pieces, I think, are really good. You brought in A.J. Brown. You have some weapons on offense. Defense was solid. I drafted their offensive line last hour when we were trying to put together our, our uh, good teams because I think it's one of the better offensive lines in the league. In fact, I think the Eagles were the only team top five in terms of Pass protection, run protection, or run blocking. And then on defense, same idea, pass rush and run stopping. Like, they have 
the best combination of offensive and defensive line, at least based off of success last year in the NFL. So they're really good in the trenches, which is important. They got some playmakers on offense now. Jalen Hurts, if he can't figure it out this year, they'll get, get uh, go get a new quarterback who potentially can. For the Commanders, I would say off-field drama. I mean, I could tell you quarterback with Carson Wentz, and that'll be fair. I don't know if he's the guy, but you get Chase Young back healthy on the defensive side. Terry McLaurin's still there. You got some weapons on offense. The defense was one of the best in the league two years ago. You have a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera. The Commanders, if Wentz plays well this year, you know, I like the roster in that division. I don't think they're going to go win a Super Bowl, but they could be a playoff team. My biggest concern, though, is the off-field drama. Right now you have their owner, Dan Snyder, who's like hiding out on his yacht in the middle of, of nowhere so he doesn't have to go to court. Just the noise around this team all the time, constantly, can take away from the team. What do coaches always tell the players, right? Like, don't be a distraction. Well, you have an owner who's being a distraction, and nobody can tell him what to do. So for the commanders, my biggest concern may actually be off the field and whatever happens with Dan Snyder in the next 12 months. For the Giants, biggest concern is not necessarily Daniel Jones, but it's his health. He's been injured every season of his career, and his QBR has dipped the last couple years. He's gotten worse each year. He's going in the wrong direction. Now, I like bringing in Brian Dable. And when Daniel Jones has been healthy, I think he's looked pretty good the last couple years. But you need a quarterback that can be out there. Saquon Barkley's never healthy. Last year, the receivers were always banged up. The Giants were injured than most teams a year ago, but most notably at quarterback. If this thing's going to work, you need Daniel Jones to play well. In order for Daniel Jones to play well, he has to actually be on the field. He's been injured every year of his NFL career. Can't happen. So I think the most important thing, yeah, you could tell me just in general, Daniel Jones' performance, but he's got to stay healthy, have a chance to have a good year, actually be out there, because otherwise it's Terod Taylor as the backup. I don't think he's the solution either. In the NFC North, biggest concerns for the Packers, you know, we could say wide receivers. You lose Devontae Adams. Rodgers didn't seem to trust anybody else. He's working with some inexperienced guys. But he is Aaron Rodgers. We've seen Tom Brady elevate bad wide receiver play. I think Rodgers will be just fine. I think they'll score enough points. I think they'll win plenty of games. The biggest concern for Green Bay for me may actually be the rush defense. They finished 30th last year in stopping the run. And I said the same thing about the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. How can you try to slow down or stop Aaron Rodgers? Maybe you keep the football out of his hands. How do you do that? Running the football. The Packers had the third worst rush defense in the league last year. When you go back and you look at the teams that had the worst rush defenses in the NFL last year, bottom five. You had the Browns, Chargers, Vikings, the Packers, and uh, the fifth team was maybe the Giants. I can't remember the fifth team. Point being, the Packers were the only one that made the playoffs, and the other ones were mostly disappointments. The Browns underachieved, the Chargers underachieved, the Vikings underachieved. All three of them terrible in stopping the run. That is still an important aspect of winning football today. Plus, Green Bay defensively, you got a pretty good uh, secondary. But you got to do a better job against the run. When it comes to the Vikings, biggest concern is their defense. Say what you will about Kirk Cousins, and I've been critical of him as well. But last year, the Vikings were 10th in offense when Kirk missed the last two games with COVID. They were a top 10 offense. Their defense was bottom three with a defensive head coach. Not only that, but the Vikings were historically the worst defense ever in the final two minutes of the first half and second half, and that's huge. They also lost the most one-possession games in the NFL last year, in large part because their defense gave up some late leads, couldn't get a stop. 
Now you bring in Kevin O'Connell, an offensive head coach. They made some moves for that defense, but my biggest concern is the defense. They have plenty of talent on the offense. Now they have an offensive head coach. They have a taller Sean McVay. But can the defense stop anybody this year? That's the big concern. For the Lions, the big concern is Jared Goff. He was last in the league last year in air yards. How many yards in the air his passes travel? He threw the shortest passes in the NFL last year, even shorter than Ben Roethlisberger, who always looked like he was playing a game of hot potato, even shorter than the rookies. Trevor Lawrence was throwing it downfield more. Justin Fields, all these other guys. Jared Goff was last. Not only that, but last year the Lions threw shorter than the first down sticks on two-thirds of their passes. The Panthers were second in the league, by the way, but at 54%. The Lions were 66%. That is a huge gap. They threw it shorter than the first down sticks by far more than anybody else. they got to be a little more aggressive. And that comes back to Jared Goff. And that's why Sean McVay wanted the gunslinger and Matt Stafford over Jared Goff. you got to take some chances. you got to throw it downfield a little bit. You can't just take the check down. The Lions, the biggest concern is the quarterback. They have some weapons on offense. They play hard. I don't know if they have the quarterback. For the Bears, biggest concern is the development around Justin Fields. It's not necessarily the quarterback. It's what the Bears are doing or lack thereof for the quarterback. I hated this offseason for the Bears. You brought in a first-time head coach. All right, fine. But he's a defensive head coach. Their offensive coordinator has never called plays before. The quarterback coach has only been a quarterback coach for two years. He's in his 30s. Offensive coordinator's in his 30s. It's like the youngest offensive staff in the league when you have a second-year quarterback. They gave him no more weapons this offseason. And last year, if you want to talk about on the field, you know, Justin Fields, you got Darnell Mooney as your top receiver, and Fields was sacked on 10% of his dropbacks, the most in the league. He got no protection, had no time to throw, no weapons, and now you fire an offensive head coach and an experienced offensive coordinator and replace them with guys doing it for the first time. They're going to be learning on the job the same time their quarterback is. I think this is malpractice from the Bears, and I think it's going to stunt the development of Justin Fields. NFC South, biggest concern for each team. For the Buccaneers, if it wasn't Tom Brady, I would say the little yo-yo game he's been playing. Hey, retired, unretired, already has his plan B set up with a TV contract. As Bill Parcells would say, if you have a plan B, you don't have a plan A. Usually that'd be a concern. But when it comes to Tom Brady, I don't think I need to be worried about, is Brady going to be locked in this year? Is he already one foot out the door? Did he actually not want to come back? Now, Brady is going to go out there and give it his all every week, and I think he'll play well. I think the biggest concern for the Bucs may be the loss of Rob Gronkowski. Now, I assume Gronk's going to come back at some point, but the Buccaneers did just sign his replacement, Kyle Rudolph, yesterday, who's over the hill. When Gronk was on the field inside the red zone, Brady was something like 48 touchdowns to no interceptions. You know, Gronk, even when he's not catching the football, plays a big role in that offense. You already have Godwin coming off a torn ACL. No Gronk. Brady is a little bit older. Bruce Arians is gone. I think the Bucks will be just fine. They may be the best team in the NFC this year. I think they win the division easily. I think Brady will play well, so it could be hard to come up with a weakness or a concern. But the loss of Gronkowski may have a larger impact than people think. You may think, ah, Gronk wasn't doing a whole lot. He's not the same tight end he once was. Just by simply being out there, being a friend of Tom, in the locker room, on the sideline, I think they lose something special with Gronkowski. For the Saints, biggest concern is losing Sean Payton for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you're replacing with Dennis Allen. Do we know if Dennis Allen's going to be a good coach? He was not in Oakland. 
Number two, the offense. Sean Payton ran that offense. What's the offense going to be like this year without Sean Payton? Which takes me to number three, Jameis Winston. Everybody believes, right, Jameis Winston, before his injury, they thought, wow, he looks a lot better. Maybe we're underrating Jameis. Well, yeah, because he was playing for Sean Payton. Sean Payton's gone. I think it was more about what Sean Payton was doing for his quarterback than what Jameis Winston was doing for that team. And now Jameis also, by the way, is coming off a torn ACL. That doesn't help. So my biggest concern for the Saints is losing Sean Payton for a number of different reasons. Plus, Alvin Kamara's going to be suspended. Is Michael Thomas going to play? I think the Saints are a lot different. They're not nearly as good on paper as they were a year ago. For the Panthers, biggest concern is Christian McCaffrey's health. And we talked about this about a week or two ago. They're 3-17 and the last 20 games he's missed. Sam Darnold was 3-0 and when McCaffrey was healthy last year. You go back and you look, when McCaffrey's played a full season, they've been a 500 team. He's been injured the last two years. They've gone 10 and whatever it is, 23, whatever the record is. McCaffrey is the most important guy to this Panthers team, but he hasn't been healthy for three years. That's the biggest concern. If he's healthy, that's a big boost to Baker. If he's not healthy and he's not on the field, it's going to make Baker Mayfield's job a lot harder, much like Sam Donald a year ago. For the Falcons, biggest concern, the weapons, or lack thereof. You know, it's bad enough you got Marcus Mariota as your quarterback. Maybe that's why they're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo. But you have just young guys. Kyle Pitts is your star tight end and star receiver. He's in his second year. Drake London's going to be your star wide receiver. He's a rookie, and I believe he was the youngest wide receiver in the, the draft. So it's just such a young team. Those are the guys you're relying on. Calvin Ridley's gone for the year, at least. Um, Justin Gage is uh, gone. So for the Falcons, they're spending the least amount of money on offense. you got Cordero Patterson in the backfield, Marcus Mariota, and Mariota, the guys he's thrown to, they may have great careers, but they're still just young and raw right now. And lastly, the NFC West, biggest concerns for the Rams. You know, I would probably say the depth behind their stars. They have so much money invested in a handful of guys. The rest of the roster may not be as deep. But more than that, I would say uh, in the NFL, we've had no repeat champion since Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, did it 20 years ago. It's hard to repeat in all sports, especially football. That's the biggest concern for the Rams. And maybe it's like some something you know superficial. But the biggest concern is just the Rams following up a Super Bowl season. For the Cardinals, biggest concern, second half of the season. Thanksgiving holiday. Cliff Kingsbury in the second half of the season as head coach of the Cardinals is 8-16. and 16. Terrible. That gets you fired over a full season. Now this year, Hopkins will miss the first six games or eight games, whatever it is. You get him back, though, second half of the year where he should be sharper. He should be fresher. That could help. The Cardinals do have a tough schedule second half of the year. But that's been the difference for them. Last year, they were the last undefeated team in the league. And then they really, they were terrible second half of the year. Got blown out in the playoffs. So for Cliff Kingsbury, for Kyler Murray, for that team, they've got to be better second half of the year. For the 49ers, biggest concern is Trey Lance. I don't know if Trey Lance is ready. I don't think he's as good for that team as Jimmy Garoppolo is. You know, reports are the reason why Debo was unhappy or trying to get a new contract was because he thinks he won't be as good with Trey Lance throwing the football than Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe that's just some sort of theory. Maybe that is sourced. I don't know, but that's the logic that the reason why Dabo, or why Debo, not Dabo, the reason why Debo is trying to lock up the money now because he knows right, his leverage, he's got a lot of uh, leverage right now where maybe a year from now that may go, his stock may drop a little bit because you got Trey Lance trying to throw him the football and he won't put it on the money as well as uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, the veteran. Last year, the 49ers were first in the league in yards after the catch. Can Trey Lance be accurate with the football as a first-time starter and a bit of a project to be able to set up his receivers just as well? 
My biggest concern for the 49ers is Trey Lance. I would start Jimmy Garoppolo this year. I would not trade Garoppolo. I don't think Trey Lance is ready, and I think if Lance is the starting quarterback week one for the Niners, I'd be concerned about San Francisco this year. I think they'd take a big step back with Trey Lance. And lastly, the Seahawks' biggest concern, I mean, everything. Looks like they're rebuilding, even with a 70-year-old head coach. But to try to narrow it down, of course you would say quarterback. And they just don't have one. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, you kidding? And the reason why that's a bigger concern is because not only are the Seahawks going to be terrible this year, but you have D.K. Metcalf, star wide receiver who's not happy. And I understand why D.K. is not happy. You know, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and eh, maybe they don't have as strong of a case. But D.K. saying, hey, you're, going, you're giving me, you, we just went from giving me Russell Wilson to Drew Locke. Are you kidding? Yeah, he's got to get paid now because his stock's about to drop, trying to catch passes from those guys. So for the Seahawks, they don't have much left on that team. The one thing they have left is D.K. Metcalf, but I don't think this makes him happy. And either he's going to not resign or he's going to try to force his way out or try to price you out of the market, whatever it may be. The one guy, the one star you want to try to keep happy, uh, yeah, now you're giving him Drew Locke and Geno Smith, and that's just creating more issues for you down the road with the one-star player you have. Biggest concerns for each NFC team in the league. Yesterday we did the AFC, today the NFC. If you missed any of the conversation, you can find it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. When we come back, Jimbo and Saban trying to bury the hatchet at SEC Media Days, plus some other highlights from the week that was in Atlanta. We'll get to that coming up. It's the Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. We put a bow on SEC Media Days here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Gave you my concerns for each team in the NFC last segment. If you ever miss anything from the show, find the podcast. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to you, your podcast. We've been breaking down the SEC media days uh, throughout the week, of course, wrapping up in Atlanta. Now, earlier this week, uh, Trent, you were not here on Monday. We were talking about it a little bit. I know uh, on the Scott Hamilton show, they were trashing Atlanta a little bit on Monday uh, with Mike Yuva. Um, I said, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Atlanta. Have you spent uh, much time in the Atlanta area? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, yeah, yeah, I was involved with someone who uh, lived in Atlanta, so mm. yeah, yeah, I've spent some time in Atlanta. I enjoy it. It's uh, you yeah. know, it's busy. If you don't like a, a busy scene, then you're not going to enjoy it. But I love big cities, you know, Chicago, New York, all that stuff. So I really enjoyed my time in Atlanta. I'd I'd go back if circumstances were better. <laughs> <laughs> if circumstances were better, <laughs> sounds like there's somebody or something you have to avoid in that Atlanta area. <laughs> Can't go back, can't be seen back in that town. Uh, I No, I do like Atlanta. I mean, the traffic's brutal. I just don't put it up there as like, uh, it wouldn't be my top, if we did tiers, it wouldn't be my top tier of cities. No, 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 no. I think it's right below. You know, like yeah. you got New York, you got Chicago, yeah. San Francisco, you know, Phoenix, and then I would put probably Atlanta in that in that little conversation. Last hour we were talking about the uh, the worst attractions in each state. And so similarly, uh, in that line of conversation, talking about cities that are maybe overrated, I don't know, at least in this building, a lot of people not the biggest fans of Atlanta around here. Uh, in regards to the SEC Media Days in Atlanta this week, 
you know, the Athletic did a good job of putting together some superlatives for the SEC media days throughout the week. Jimbo Fisher was given a hard time yesterday, you know, tongue-in-cheek for talking too fast at his press conference. And Jimbo joked around saying, I'm trying to get you guys in and out of here. Uh, and then compared it to, you know, they have restrictions and rules now of how long you can actually practice and be with the guys. So, you know, he made a good joke about how he's just used to that. He's got to get the players in and out. Same idea. He's used to doing everything quick, take advantage of, you know, the short amount of time he has with his team or with the media, whatever it may be. I've been told before that I talk too fast. I think it depends on the topic, the day, how much energy I have on that particular day. But I always found that as somebody that listens, if I were to listen to sports talk, I always prefer somebody who is more like energetic, talking fast than slow, drawn out. That is a little bit of a bore. I've never gotten a compliment for how fast I talk, but I have had some people say, ah, you talk too fast. You know, uh, Paul Feinbaum is incredibly successful. He's one of the best in this industry. I think he talks too slow. It's like uh, Andy said, like with molasses uh, pouring out of your mouth. I listen to the Feinbaum show, you know, I'll put it on at 1 a.m. if I'm uh, having a case of insomnia or something. But different strokes for different folks. Also on the list of uh, superlatives, things that The Athletic pointed out, was Nick Saban when he said, you know, I don't have to, or he, he said, let me redo this. He said, um, you know, I don't like to answer hypothetical questions. And then went into a 315-word answer, which is always, people always say that. Like, I don't know what to say, or I'm speechless. I'm shocked. I don't know what to respond to. And then they go on for like a five-minute soliloquy. And it turns out you actually did know what to say. Hendon Hooker, I've been pumping his tires this week. And because he's the oldest quarterback, I think in all of Power 5 football, maybe in a few years, he's going to be 25 by the end of the season. Think back to what you were doing when you were 25. As I said, when I was 25, I was working, I think, for my fourth different Major League Baseball organization at that point. Certainly three. I think I was on to my fourth. Hendon Hooker's still playing college football. He's going to be 25 by the end of the football season. That's a huge difference. Kenny Pickett was the oldest quarterback last year, had a great year. Joe Burrow was the oldest quarterback, was the best quarterback in college football. Baker Mayfield, his year, was the oldest quarterback and won the Heisman. That's a big advantage. You're talking about a guy 24-25 going up against some defensive backs who are 18. And he's played. This is his sixth year. He's going to be going up against true freshmen in some cases. That's a huge difference. Anyways, Hendon Hooker did acknowledge this week that his teammates don't get his references. He's too old. We hear this a lot in professional sports. Tom Brady, how does he connect with a 22-year-old rookie? How about Hendon Hooker, who is still in college, unable to relate to some of his own teammates because that's how old he is. Now surprised with the references from Hendon Hooker. He said the famous Jet Jackson. I remember that show. I'm surprised that a 24-year-old would remember that show. I feel like he's... Too young for that. Trent, you're closer to Hendon Hooker's age than I am. Are you familiar? Did you ever watch the show The Famous Jet Jackson? I never did. I never did. Seems like Hendon Hooker might be a little bit of an old soul, yeah. if you will. So not only is he going to be turning 25, but he's got that old soul to him. He's, uh, he's, I think he's in for a big year. The other one he said was the jersey. Now, I had to look this up. This was on the Disney Channel. He said his teammates didn't know his references to the jersey, a TV show on Disney. I don't remember this show. And... It debuted in 1999. Hendon Hooker is 24. He's about to turn 25, so he was born in, what, 97? What is he doing referencing the jersey, a show that debuted when he was two years old? Somebody check his birth certificate. That kid's older than 24. Uh, Mike Leach was given the award for the best Looney Tunes analogy. What would you expect? 
and all sorts of other uh, good things as well. Obviously, Mike Leach also have the had the shortest opening remarks by not delivering any opening statement, which I don't necessarily disagree with him on. As he said, you're going to ask me whatever you want. What's the point of an opening statement? Just let's get to the questions. I do agree. Now, maybe you just set the tone. Maybe you try to shape the direction of the conversation with opening statements. Dabo will give you 10 minutes. I don't think that's necessary. Go to, I think it's like an elevator pitch. A coach should sit down, touch on three quick bullet points. You know, if we're talking after a game, here's what we did well, here's where we struggled, here's why we lost. All right, what do you want to ask me? Right, just give a quick statement, like a short little press release. We don't have to be up there talking for 10 minutes. But I do appreciate Mike Lee. Let's get right to the questions. Let's do what you guys want and get uh, in and out. And then, of course, the big story throughout the week, talking about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and looking forward to that game on October 8th. When Saban was asked about it on the SEC Network, he said, ah, that game, it's about the players. We're past that. We're past the whole spat between him and Jimbo. Jimbo then went on to the aforementioned Paul Feinbaum show yesterday, and Jimbo said something similar that, yeah, that's past us. We moved beyond it. Here's what Jimbo Fisher had to say when he and Paul were yesterday talking about the whole thing with uh, Jimbo and Saban from this offseason. Today, the first four questions to you were about him. They were all Alabama reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Every reporter up there, AL.com, Huntsville, Birmingham. I said, they, we got invaded. <laughs> you said something interesting, and, and I, I want to talk about some other things, but you, you, you seem to indicate you're good, it's behind mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Plenty of raised eyebrows uh, in the audience, but how, how, can you explain that to us? No, we are. We're, we're good. And where we come from, you say what's on your mind, you do it, you move on, and you're <laughs> playing ball or, or whatever you're doing 10 minutes later. And it is part of our culture. I, say, I joke about that, but if you were thin-skinned where I grew up, from my father to my grandfather to whoever, they told you, I mean, right was right, wrong was wrong. They told you, and they moved on. They didn't worry about it. That's kind of how way we grew up. He says what he says. I say what I say. But we don't. It, it is what it is, and you move on. You're competitive, and you do the things. And I think part of that, though, we're in a world right now, we're not sure what to do. And that's what the fear is. It's not – usually coaches, we've got to have the answer. Our job is to have the answer, all right? Media's job is to create controversy. <laughs> it's, 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 I joke about that, but I'm, what I'm saying is we is, we work – we got to have concrete answers, and right now, there are none. Jimbo yesterday, talking about the drama with Saban. A couple of West Virginia guys who obviously work together, know, have known each other for a long time. Saban joked, hey, if you thought that was bad, you should have saw us in the meetings or on the basketball court back in the day yelling at each other. But I do think what Jimbo says, I mean, it's a fair point. Now, sometimes you take it a little too far. You get a little too personal. You get into a fight with your spouse, and you say something you wish you, you didn't say in hindsight, and you can't take it back. You know, sometimes you have a falling out with a good friend. But I think we all have those relationships, whether it's your siblings or just, you know, best friend that, yeah, you can kind of say whatever. You can have a big blow up. You can yell at each other. And then you go grab a drink, like even that same night, and forget about it. Forget that it even happened. There's always that joke, uh, like TV shows will always reference it about that. that that's kind of how, like, uh, not to make it like some sort of sexist thing, but that's how male friends communicate by, like, yelling at each other or te- te- teasing each other, making fun of each other. And, you know, and then, then you hug and go out and have a good time. Like, whatever. So, same idea here where Jimbo and Saban are old-time friends. You know, used to work together. You always have those relationships that you can go horns to horn. You know, you can lock horns with somebody, have a big blow-up with your buddy. And, sure, maybe you need to cool off. You don't talk to one another for a day or two. And then, you know, the next weekend rolls around and you go out and you have a good time again. 
But I also like the idea of Jimbo said, not in that clip, but like in his press conference, something about something along the lines of, eh, it's too bad it went public. Yeah, you're the same guy that called the public press conference the next day to blast Saban publicly. So these guys also are trying to, you know, sell us uh, some nonsense throughout this whole thing about, uh, oh, it wasn't as big of a deal. or yada, yada, yada. I mean, they said some personal, especially Jimbo Fisher, mostly. I made some personal attacks, accused Saban through innuendo of certain things. I got real personal. He wanted a press conference. He went after him. But at the end of the day, a lot of times you may have a big blow-up with a buddy of yours, with a brother, whatever it may be. And then, you know, a few days later, it's like it never happened. You're good. You move forward. With all that said, when we reach October 8th and those two teams play one another, you know that whole week it's what everyone's going to be talking about. And when they get onto the field, it's what everyone's going to be looking for. Are they going to shake hands? How do they respond to one another? Will Alabama run up the score? What are things going to be like October 8th when Alabama and A&M play one another? Not only because of that, but of course the fact that A&M won last year. You know Saban's going to want his revenge. 843-721-9500 to join the conversation. Let's go to the phones. Jim is with us. Jim, what's going on? How are you? I just want to let you know, six hours and 20 minutes from now is the best TV show. And the channel is R-E-E-L-Z. And it's called Live PD. And the Berkeley County Police Department, they would follow them and out on calls. They go to, there's one in Columbia and around the United States, different places. Trust me, from 9 to midnight, it's the most entertaining thing you ever watch. And I'll give you a little uh, a hint on something. Three years ago, before they were canceled, the one I remember was on 176 west of Cane Bay, they caught a lawnmower without lights going on. The guy was driving home on his lawnmower, and they stopped him. He ended up getting the DUI. I saw it live on TV. That's some good <laughs> stuff now. Yeah. Okay? I look That's forward some good to it. Watch it. It's on today and tomorrow, 9 to midnight. All right. I'm telling you, after all, I'm out there trying to think of things to help the show as much as I can. Because baseball's getting boring. By the way, your Red Sox better start moving because the Yankees lost a doubleheader to Bobby's Houston Astros yesterday. Yeah, well, I don't think the Red Sox are going to catch the Yankees anytime soon, but hopefully they can at least be a wild-card team this year. We'll see. All right, brothers. Have a good weekend. All right, appreciate it. Looking forward to the return of live PD. The lawnmower, not a bad idea. Obviously, it didn't work out. It'd be like in the show um, The League, based on the Fantasy Football League, when uh, one of the characters would use his like free towing miles. He'd drive to the bar. I get sauced and then call the towing company and they tow he'd get in his car, they'd tow him to his driveway and he'd use his free miles. That's a good idea. I am a triple A member, but they they're pretty tight with how many mi- free miles they give you, so I can't do such a thing. I gotta you know, I gotta settle for Uber. Leave the car at home, but that's not a bad idea. I like that one. You Fantastic cut- show, by the way, the league. Fantastic yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same people. It was created by people that worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I love. Right. I liked the league early on. I thought it jumped the shark too early. Yeah. I liked the first couple seasons, and I thought, okay, this show's getting ridiculous. I stopped watching it. The reason why I liked it, I was reading about it, it was you know half scripted and half improv the entire time. And you could kind of tell which parts were improv and which parts seemed to be a scripted mm-hmm. a little bit. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. That was a good show. And it's just cool that you had a show based around fantasy. You know, we don't have anything like that. Based around fantasy football. And it came out, whatever, like 12 years ago. That was a big deal at the time. That was really cool. Everyone was playing fantasy football, and now there's a TV show about it. It was very relatable. Live PD returning. I guess we'll be be covering the area 
Did we draw straws yet on which intern we're going to send out in a Moro Midday shirt to intentionally Ooh. get on the show? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Nick, unfortunately, other intern is not here, so it ah, looks like we got well one played. option. It's it's Anderson. Sorry, bud. You're going to have All to right. go out there and get arrested. Get some Frosé <laughs> in you first, and then we're going to send you out there with a Moro Midday show shirt on to go do something stupid and be put on uh, live PD for a free promotion for the show. So stay tuned to see that this weekend. When we come back, it's time. We have to come up with uh, the persona non grata of the week. It's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. This will get you fired up for the weekend, a little cold play. Come on, there's nothing better before you go into your, you know, weekend festivities than Viva La Vida. Come on. Right. It's a good song. It's a good album, too, from uh, Coldplay. Hey, uh, as we get ready for the weekend, we do it now at the end of the week, each and every Friday, where we look back at uh, somebody who... Did us wrong throughout the week in the sports world. Maybe not us in particular, but just in general. Drop the ball in the sports world. Now, last Friday, I did say it was Jeremy Schilling. Went against the family. Sold me on Tiger Woods. Made me lose my home. But, much like Kirby or, uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, right? then you quickly move on. When you're friends, you get upset with one another, you put it behind you. So we let him back on the show Wednesday. He went against the family last week. And then we let bygones be bygones. He was able to return on Wednesday, talk more golf, and hopefully not let us down again when it comes to Tiger Woods. This week, plenty of nominees. Let's find out who the persona non grata is this week on the Morrow Midday Show. You are a disgrace to this university, to this country, and humanity in general. You blew it! I'll shut up in your face. You are one pathetic loser. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Shut up or you fail. Time now for this week's Persona Non Grata. Handful of candidates this week. As we look back on the week that was. I mean, maybe you say Rory McElroy for letting another one slip away over the weekend. Did you see the video of that loser at the uh, All-Star game? At the red carpet before? This old guy in a Padres uniform and hat fighting his way to the front, like pushing kids out of the way to try to get an autograph from Justin Verlander? What a loser. That guy should probably be number one on the list. Plenty others. When you have media days going on throughout the week, you get all the coach speak and the hyperbole and the unnecessary praise. I'm going to nominate Clark Lee, head coach of Vanderbilt, to try to sell us on this idea that Vanderbilt's going to be the best team in college football at some point in the future. Yeah, maybe when once we're starting, once we reach a point where we're playing football like on the moon, maybe at that point Vanderbilt will be ready to take over the sport. 
Will Levis, we already knew the story. We've talked about it here, but he, I guess, was at Media Days this week and on TV was showing how he drinks his coffee with mayonnaise in it, and it became a national story. In baseball, we talked about it throughout the week, the fact that the Oakland A's would not fly their own guy out to the All-Star game. The Nationals wouldn't either with Juan Soto. Take care of your All-Stars. I would nominate the Nationals twice, this whole Juan Soto situation. We'll see if he's moved in the next 11 days, but it's not good for baseball. When you have a 23-year-old star and a guy that a team should be able to build around, and yet you're going to wind up trading him when he still has two and a half years left at 23 years old? We've never seen a 23-year-old star traded. Bad for baseball. To be moving these stars around sets a bad precedent. I don't like it. But I would say this week, Persona non grata. I mean, maybe we nominate even Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban for trying to minimize the war of words between them earlier this offseason. But I'm going to say Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart had some harsh words this week and then maybe kind of backtracked a little bit. But some harsh words about name, image, and likeness. Days before signing a huge record-breaking contract yesterday that will pay him over $100 million for the next decade. And Kirby, one of the comments he made earlier this week was, Fear about freshmen and sophomores not being motivated anymore once they sign that contract. I hope at Kirby's next press conference, somebody will ask him if he's no longer motivated now that he just signed this big contract to become, what, the highest paid coach in college football? It's the classic example of, uh, we see this with politicians all the time, of, you know, do what I say, not as I do. We saw it throughout the pandemic. Politicians telling you how to live your life just to do the opposite. And we get college football coaches saying, ah, these players, uh, when they get this money... Things change. They're not going to be as motivated. It's going to cause a riff in the locker room. Well, what about when you get the biggest contract? Are you no longer motivated? Because that's a fear for Georgia that after they won that first national championship, can they follow it up? And Kirby said this week, right, we played the audio, hey, we're not about just winning one championship. We're about winning multiple. Well, then by his own logic, wouldn't you say that he probably shouldn't have signed that contract yesterday because it removes some of the motivation? Isn't that the theory here once you start getting paid? Because I think... Tom Brady is still highly motivated. I think LeBron James, maybe not as motivated as he once was, but still highly motivated and driven. Uh, you have Kobe Bryant even grew up in, you know, his father was a professional athlete, grew up with some money. Peyton Manning, father was a professional athlete, and you know, he had a pretty good upbringing, still was very much motivated. Arthur Smith, head coach of the Falcons, grew up the son of a millionaire, and then he grinded his way as a GA and everything else. Through the ranks to become a head coach, pretty motivated. I think people can come for money and still be motivated. You can be motivated for even more money once you get a taste of it. But it was just the latest example of hypocrisy that we see a lot from college coaches, but especially on the subject of name, image, and likeness. That are saying, ah, oh, these players, I don't know, once they start making money, their teammates aren't going to be happy, they're not going to be motivated. What about once you start making the money? Are you no longer motivated? Are your assistants unhappy that wait a minute how come you're getting all that money we didn't get that big of a raise we just won a national championship too same dynamics between the coaching staff and the team as well in a lot of instances when it comes to the finances don't put down the players making money the same week that you sign a record-breaking contract not the best looks optically and as they say life's all about timing right you want to deliver that message go ahead but don't do it when you know you're about to sign a big contract two days later because then you just look greedy. Like, yeah, they shouldn't get any money, but, oh, me? Yeah, you give me the biggest contract ever. This week, we'll say Kirby Smart.
is persona non grata. And maybe we'll forgive him a few days from now as well. We'll wrap up your Friday when we come back. This is the Mara Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Thinking about the way I was with the heartbreak changed me. Maybe, but look at where I ended up. I'm all good already, so moved on this. Wrapping up your Friday in the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on the man. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcasts. Podcasts also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. While there, you can always take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or a free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store, and through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand. From anywhere in the world, ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least eight different states and multiple countries today as they're listening in India on this Friday. Appreciate you here on the Mormon Day Show. Hey, last segment we did uh, our Persona Non Grata of the Week. I guess I also should have non- nominated, uh, what was it, Johnny Hot Dog? Uh, Johnny Ballpark Franks. Johnny Ballpark Franks. <laughs> Johnny Ballpark Franks. Yeah. Which I guess was a topic of conversation on Fan yeah. Talk yesterday. Who follows Bobby now yeah. on, on Twitter. So much so. Such a big topic. He tracked <laughs> Bobby down online. Soon there's going to be a knock on the door from uh, Johnny Ballpark Franks, whatever his name is. You can hear more about that coming up on Fan Talk in just a few moments. If you miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcast. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again Monday at noon. Enjoy the weekend. It's the Morning Midday Show on ESPN Radio.